one buttoned that up. I'm very relaxed, as you can tell, I've been stretching. Right, we better get started then. Bloody autodidactic, mate. Um, mate, so I guess of all the of all the AJs to exit defence successfully, and then those mostly that exit unsuccessfully, you're kind of this success story, but you've gone about it in a roundabout fucking turbulent way, right? Yeah. What's the story? You were in three area. Yeah, mate. Yep, three area. Uh, you know, I grew up in Brisbane, and uh, I I guess. You know, my whole life stem, stems back to my life being in Brisbane because, you know, uh, my parents separated when we were quite young and there was the three of us boys and uh, my immigrant mother from Singapore. So she immigrated like uh, early 70s-ish and it was a me, love you, long time type story because she's from Singapore. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, we grew up in a, a small housing commission it was literally two bedrooms, three boys, and mum was sleeping downstairs on the on the fold out couch. So you know we didn't have much. We had we we had shit all, you know. And back in those days, obviously, like you boys, outside playing and sticks, and you know playing on the road and playing in the creek. And if it pissed down rain, there was you know water slides and you'd get right. sucked into drains and stuff. Like back then, it was it was it was a cool thing to do. So that kind of you know I guess in a way. Uh, made me want to uh, make things better, you know, as from a young age to go, you know what, I, you know, I'd, I know my mum's given me as much as she can, but I want to give my kids a lot more once I get older. So, you know, at that stage, um, a bit of military, you know, stuff, you know, ran throughout our family. Um, two of my great uncles, uh, they fought on Kokoda, which is pretty cool. And my grandfather, we're still trying to figure this one out because he changed his name. They're thinking that he might have been a criminal. So th- his medals have gone AWOL because we can't find... She can't follow his name. We can't follow his name. And my grandmother flushed before she passed away. She flushed his stuff down the down the shitter. Yeah, just everything. Just, Why? Oh, it must have had a big, big falling out. Big <laughs> falling out. And, uh, yeah, so um, decided to join up. This was uh, post-2001, uh, uh, September 11. Yeah. That was kind of the main motivation. I was in school and, I, you know, it's one of those things that all of us remember. I remember... Wake up in the morning and waiting for a bit of cheese TV to come on. <laughs> and it did. Rat us the rat. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. And the, you know, the news was on and all this stuff. I mean, you know, for me, and I guess for you guys, well, same age, you know, we didn't really grasp the concept on how big that event was going to turn out to be, especially how much it was going to affect all of our lives. So, you know, a couple of years later, I decided to join up and obviously all that at that stage at school, all my teachers like, you'll never, I actually got an award, like there's like the award at end of year 12, the person least likely to join the army. Fuck. Yeah, what? yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was like a full piss take, but least likely yeah, to join least, the army. Least likely. That's a good award. I still got it at home. It's really good. Where were you when you saw the towers collapse? Mate, I was at home in Brisbane, yeah. uh, just in our little housing commission unit and, you know, with our little... You know, thirty-two inch, probably not even thirty-two inch, probably twenty-five inch. You know, with yeah. the old, the old knobs turning, turning the channel, and um, yeah, the kids would have been the, you guys were the remote. Yeah, and I remember going to school, and then we, you know, all of us kids were talking about it, but there was again, there was no grasp of concept on how big, you know, the event was like, and not even I didn't even know where New York was. I'm just like New York, I don't even know where that is. So you mm. joined, and you went straight in. Uh, what to that? When did you actually join? I joined two thousand three. But uh, so what happened was obviously after nine eleven, 
I did. A, I was doing a mechanical uh, apprenticeship, and then um, 2003 come along. I thought, you know what? That's it. I'm gonna I'm gonna enlist. I went to go enlist, but there was no position for full time for full time uh, reg soldiers. So they're like, you know, you can go reserve if you want. I'm like, well, I guess that's the only option because at that stage they said that Singer was just getting pumped because everyone was like, yeah, we're going to go to war. Yeah. So it was getting pumped. They didn't have enough instructors, so they couldn't fill, you know, the the classes there. And um, so I went I reserve first, Chocos. And this is, you know, it's, it's, it's people – I, I think the reserves are a lot different back in those days because the I went to 2549 and at that stage, that battalion was uh, all the section commanders, all the hierarchy were all three-hour. So they're all these three-hour like mad dogs that you know, just left uh, Team All for the, first, uh, for the first trip and they were all in uh, at this battalion in Brisbane and it almost, I guess that was like a slim, subliminal way for me to choose three hour, but there was another reason why I chose three hour. I got tricked into it and it involved money. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so I went Chocos first. You know, I did all my IATs through um, uh, Chocos and uh, up in Brisbane. And at this stage, this is where I met uh, Luke, uh, Luke Andrews, former SAS. You know, um, I had him on my podcast and he's got some mad stories, and yeah, we've you know there's a couple of other guys that I ended up in three hour hour with as well that were um, you know chocos with me, but chocos was so it was it was it was awesome. The, the the stuff that you got to do was incredible. Like we won like a you know like a dog cup type style mm. thing, you know, against all the other chocos, and uh, we ended up going to Singapore for three weeks, you know, like to exercise in Singapore, okay. and it was more for the officers, so it just turned out to be a piss trip for us and. My family's all from there, so it was like a good thing. And then, um, yeah, we did other things like rock climbing. With Chocos was like just it's incredible. Like it's like a. It's like, it's like, it's, I, I don't know. Like honestly, I don't know. I know when I first when I first left um, the reserve. I mean, it's, I think it changes all the time now. When when I got it, I did I did reserve time for about five years or so, like just on and off. And it was got all the, all the young diggers that wanted to do fun stuff like that. Like the, the stuff available, but. It's all just budget. I think every year the budget changes. But when I mean back in the back in those days, full time operational deployments were all full time people. Yeah. Um. And so they had to keep Chocos yeah. motivated because they're not on a contract. Yeah. If, if Chocos don't get excited one Tuesday night, they're not coming back the next yeah, 100%. week. Whereas now they're letting reservists fill half the seats on yeah, trips, and so that's cool. the carrot dangle. They don't. They probably wind back on spending money on fun stuff because yeah. they can lure people down the path with, with trips. Yeah. Well, you know, at that stage too, 2003, 2004, so I got to um, the battalion uh, in – it's pretty much right next to 6RR at that stage. Too. So we're always seeing, the, you know, the regs cruise along and giving us shit obviously. But then our 3RR, like, hierarchy, like, fuck. I can't yeah, yeah. yeah. And can I curse on you? Oh, of course yeah, you can, mate. You do it. <laughs> <early, laughs> just well, – hang on, just before we go, can you tilt that microphone back a bit because these ones you want to talk into the front. Oh, you do? That's not a top one thing. No. Is it? I think it was registering all right. Oh, it registers all right, yeah, but just that's the main face. In the test, test. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. Yeah. Oh, you're right. There you go. Technology. Just, for, just, so that, just so that people don't 
watch the video on YouTube and think that we don't know what we're doing. They will talk. Yeah, it's it's weird because some mics, like our mics, are all, they're all different. Top, yeah. Top feed. Yeah. Um, yeah. So back to uh, the Choco time, you know, and uh, you know, I did some super cool stuff throughout Chocos, and then I actually got to go on the Operation Relax, which is like my first operation, loaded gun, you know, loaded pistol, yeah. and you know, board some boats. You know, around the northern Australian waters, which yep. is pretty cool. And I spent three months uh, on Christmas Island as well. So this is kind of my first introduction to yeah, like Karen, yeah, Karen, a load of gun. Coming out of the 1980s training army, uh, 90s they, they deployed what Solomon's in Rwanda, 93, 90, yep. whatever, yeah, 91 and two, yep. three, and then nothing for nearly seven years. Yeah, very minimal. Yep. So the Sri Lankan army was probably like. What do we do? Like trying to ramp up and get back into a, a deployment mindset. Yeah, yeah, and it, it definitely did because then team all kicked off, uh, you know, in effect, and then yeah, that's when it started just going. You know, there was Solomon's team all yeah. Iraq, Afghanistan. There was random stuff SAS were doing in who knows, you know, on Mars. Who knows? And um, but yeah, the, the Chocos were starting to get a bit of a responsibility as well. And, you know, obviously we're attached to the Navy because the Navy were too scared to do their own boarding party. So they're like, we need the Army to come help us. Get those dudes, <laughs> those reserve soldiers yeah, that, that got reserve. trained last Tuesday. Have no idea what they're doing. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Who's the chick, uh, blonde chick out of Sea Patrol? Oh, yeah. Oh, um, I can't remember. I don't know Australian actors. The one from Blue Heelers. Yeah. Yeah. Boarding shit. Boarding That was a good TV show, actually. Oh, well, if you're the Green Senator, who was the Green Senator? Um, Sarah Hansen Young. Sarah Hansen Young. Was, was reciting. Senator Inquiry. She's reciting like scenes from Sea Patrol as if like that's what the Navy does. It's pretty comical. Wow. Yeah. And then the, uh, I think, was it the CDF or at the time goes, was like, um, oh, that that's on you YouTube, that's isn't it? Like, yeah, yeah like, oh, I have seen that. Yeah, <laughs> that's a TV show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, bloody hell! Um, but yeah, so I mean, did uh, did Relax, which was super cool, and uh, the people I got to meet on there, uh, two or three of them actually um, come to Three Hour as well. So, which was super cool, and a couple of them ended up over in SAS, and one's now the head coach, head physical coach for the Sydney Roosters. Which oh, is, uh, yeah, kept, kept turning. I've just linked up with him the other day, so I want to get him on for my podcast. But, um, yeah, and then uh, the lucky thing for me with uh, Op Relax is that my section commander, she was getting posted straight to Schema straight after we left that op. And, I, you know, there's about three or four of us, me, Blue Andrews, a couple of the other guys, like, we want to go regs. Can you get this paperwork on the right table? Of course. She's literally just, you know, got posted to Schema, put it on the right table within, you know, like, you know, two weeks we're, we're on the ship to – they basically – the thing is I was fully qualified at that stage too within the uh, reserves. So it could it could essentially make me skip singing if I wanted to, but they asked us, said, do you want to do singing? I'm like 100% because all our secos are like, do yeah, do it, yeah. do it, otherwise you'll just – you'll cop it once, especially three hour like bloody hell. Yeah. Mm. Romper stomper back in those days Back too. then, yeah. Yeah. And even worse, like in the 90s, yeah, so – yeah, we went out to Singo, and then obviously you guys know what Singo's like. It's just it, it's I I that's when I first started uh, getting a bit of a a separation feeling towards you know my home life because obviously Chocos you know Tuesday maybe every weekend and once every week you know once every couple of weeks you you know out in the field whatever but you're going back home 
but you know, and seeing your family every day. And so this is my first time I was separating, you know, from from my mum as well. You know, like I'm a 19 year old boy and stepping into the real world. Yeah. You know, and then you know, joining the military. It's not a normal job. Like you, you know, your first. Um, you know, this is one thing that you know people don't understand is that you know within all the jobs in the world, we're the only job where your first job is to kill. They they teach you kill and then fix everything else afterwards. There's not another job out there that teaches you that. You know, not even the police. They don't teach you to kill. Yeah, I guess that's funny. You sort of you never really actually You don't think about it did until you, did you when you went through singing, I go, Oh, I might have to actually No, it was in um it was in, in, in initial recruitment when they asked you to recite the role of the infantry as you come in, like before I even got to Kapuka. Uh, and then when, like verbally, when I had to say, when they asked me, like, what are you going to be doing? I'm like, we're going to be finding, capturing and killing people. Like saying the word killing as in for the first time, this is an action that I am going to do myself. Like I, it was fucking weird. Like I, it was the... Like, like I couldn't, I couldn't, it choked me up a bit. Um, and then after a day, I'm like, that's what made it sink in. The fact that it was hard to say. And then I'm like, I have to get used to the fact that I'm about to get trained to kill people. And then over time, it's like anything. It's just a button. You wear it down, wear it down, wear it down. And then you're numb to it. And you don't care anymore. Uh, and it's fine. But um, yeah, I think that was, it wasn't when I got to training and they started talking about it. It was, it was the language and the lead up to yeah. it that, that made yeah, me realize. 100%. And then obviously once you, you know, start deploying like Iraq, Afghanistan stuff, you know, how many other jobs, do you know, out there, you got to, you know, your DP1 checklist, you got to pack a body bag. Yeah. I mean, there's that's not many other jobs out there where you got to pack a fucking body bag for your, for your section, yeah. anticipating that someone's going to get whacked and you're going to have to put them in a body bag. That Same was, thing in the PSD world, you know? Like, I, th- I think that was, I mean, not, I mean, talking about carrying body bags, you, you start thinking about your mates getting, getting knocked. But I think that was the bigger fear. For me personally, when I was going, I mean, I don't know if it was Timor. I don't really thought we were going to have to go over and, and, and like knock it in in Timor. But going to Afghan, I'm like, I was more mentally focused on overcoming the thought of killing other people than being killed. Yeah, right. Like I know when when I was over there, don't get me wrong, I, I, by the time you get there, you're like, I would much rather kill everyone here than die myself. Um, well, not everyone, but <laughs> got to be careful. There's some right, but, but like when I was over there, I was far more concerned with, personal survival when I was out on, on foot patrols. But um, going over there, mentally prepping, I'm like, you're about to get tested. Are you actually ready to fucking kill someone if you have to? And that was that, that occupied my mind far more than the thought of getting shot. Yeah, right. See, that, that's, that's the I guess, the total opposite to me because I was totally oblivious to anything. Like, mm. None of like, – nothing crossed my mind until, like, after you know, after I got out and had my my mental breakdown from you know 2009 to you know because I was transitioning from the mill life to the civilian life, which is you guys know it's 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 not it's not a simple process. Mm. But um, you know, we'll touch on that down the track. But you know, it never crossed my mind about killing people and the thought of death. Like, and I look back now of my time in Afghanistan, even in Iraq and the PSD, where I'm thinking my life could have been taken away, like. At any point. Just at any point. You just don't know that, especially in Afghanistan, like walking around the boonies and, you know, you're getting told there's – you listen to, the you know, the Taliban on ICOM chatter saying, yeah, we just – we know the Aussies are heading out soon. We're just going to put some uh, bang down for them. And, you know, you're walking out there just tiptoeing. Yeah, fuck And, yeah, it happened a few times, you know. We'd troll down and – I think it's all right because um, I think I was the opposite of a snow – I was like the snowflake but the opposite end of the spectrum. I was like, oh, I'm this precious snowflake. Like nothing ever happens to me, right? Yeah. And I think that's what everyone feels. Yeah. They, they, oh, it's, 
I mean, whether it's MPC, everyone else is an NPC. Yeah. Um, oh, it'll never, the bad thing. Me. Yeah. Everyone else dies. Yeah. Same as the guys yeah. on the boats, I suppose, in World War II. Yeah. They're getting off the boats are like, oh, it's not going to happen. Yeah, what are the chances? Yeah. And I was complacent, I would honestly say. That's, with, that's yeah, you know, just 100% complacency. Like, and it wasn't until after the fact, I'm like, yeah. oh, that was a bit dicey. That was dicey, yeah. Yeah. Now, see, I, I, for the, because we spent the first four months up until Rockall just in cars and in patrol bases. So the only time we're ever out on foot is if we were fucking about and wasting time. Because um, we were always vehicle mounted following patrols. Yeah, up. right. Um, so I had no, and that's when I got super complacent because when you get over there, I was nervous on the, when we first got over there. Um, and then I was like, a few months in, when you're doing nothing but, but dropping mortars and, and driving cars, you're like, Oh, this is pretty, it's easy to get complacent. And then in the last two and a half, um, three months or whatever, when before we came home, we started to rotate in with a few of their, well, not, not Max's teams, but the other teams just to give people rest and go on patrols. And that's when I'm like, all right, I've been complacent for four months. And then I started getting nervous again because I'm like, I'm actually going out to do it. Yeah. I'm actually going out to do the job that the other boys have been doing yeah. the whole time. Yeah. And there was, for the first week of doing that, I had to watch. I was watching Generation Kill every night before I went yeah, to bed. Just yeah. get myself pumped. I was watching so the you get up at four in the morning and go, "All right, you're going out and do something." Yeah. Like, it works, man. Yeah. It like watching the Generation Kill is fucking fantastic show. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was enough to settle my nerves and go get to sleep at night. It was yeah. good. That's that's interesting. Yeah, so yeah. I watch. I watch the unit. That was my TV show with Jonas Blaine and yeah. it's like about Delta Force and that was just yeah, cool, cool stuff. So when did you get out of defence? When you got you. Got overseas, a couple of sand pictures. Yeah, I, I only did uh, the GAM once. I did Timor yeah. as well. And uh, I got out in 2009. Um, I had a parachute accident in 2006, so that put me out for all of, you know, 2006. You know, boys are going to Iraq and, you know, Afghanistan was ramping up and Timor was just going nuts as well. Obviously, the presidential stuff and people, you know, doing cool stuff and Solis as well. And, uh, yeah, I, I had a, uh, we did a jump and... I sparted in and popped my shoulder out and shoulder was down near my chest and it was pretty bad. So I had to go have, you know, like a reconstructive surgery. And then after all that happened, we, uh, I got fit again. This is during 2006. And then one of the boys, we were on a Dartmouth range and doing some life life, you know, drills. There was two boys in the front, two, uh, one of us, me in the back. He smashed straight into a Dartmouth hole and, I'm into the radio stack and <laughs> rounds are in the roof and my shoulder's out again. So I'm in surgery again. So 2006 was just a write-off for me. So I was stuck in malingering. Did platoon. you say rounds in the roof? So someone yeah, live you off. Rounds were <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, um, yeah, I was out 2006. So that for me, that was, I, I think it was more of a, it was a kick in the balls because as I said, everyone was just like overseas getting gongs and, you know, living the life, you know, doing what you we wanted mm. to do. You know, and I missed it out on all that. So that I think that was the start of my mental decline of, you know, even just being in the military. I'm just going, fuck this bullshit. Everyone's deploying and I'm I'm stuck here with all, you know, and obviously every battalion had their malingers as well. We, you know, there's people yeah. walking around with a limping like, I mean, it's fucking mm. up. Get out there. But um was yeah. that some of the would have is that sort of the reason maybe missing out on some of those trips that might have dragged you or pushed you towards doing private contracting or? Uh, honestly, I didn't even think about private contracting at that stage uh, until I got out. You know, I didn't really know about it. You know, I knew there were guys in Baghdad and, you know, especially in Iraq doing a lot of contracting. Obviously, that stage too was like mental, uh, crazy times for Baghdad. And um, so I got out in 2009, got an accelerated discharge as well because I got that stage within the army. I'm just like, I've got to get the fuck out. I, I can't do this no more. Like, I'm just... 
I'm busted. I've, you know, my shoulders. I, uh, I did get fit enough to not obviously get a med discharge, which is good. So I was like a met class. I think they've changed all the classing systems now, but I was met too. So I could still do infantry stuff, but I couldn't parachute. So that was, I think that was like the main one. And then obviously they said to us, yeah, three hours of moving to Townsville anyway. I'm like, no chance, mate. No chance. <laughs> I, mean, I, I know three hour when I like in the early day, like they had it was different because they had always had the para capability. Yeah, the quality of the soldiers was honestly because massive. our training was just there was more like we did like a PFA, so we just didn't do your BFA or your normal just normal battalion, you know, whatever training. We did stuff to the next level, so you know. Our standard, you know, minimum standards was like 70 push-ups, uh, you know, 200 sit-ups type thing. Like it was just 3.2s in battle, you know, combat um, battle kit. You know, there was always just next level training and obviously jumping all the time. Like it is, it's it's stupid. Like it's, you literally jumping out of a plane full of kit with a shitty parachute. You cannot steer. Mm. Like it's just, it's, it's mentally stupid. Did you ever find that the... Rivalry or the the competition with to try and keep up with British Power's reputation was driving three hour out. No, oh, because British Power is yeah. meant to be savages. Like they were, get yeah. bored and they'll just I, eat a fucking schooner glass or something. It did with some of the guys, but you know, people like me that had no idea of the outside world. No, it was wasn't just, it? It was just airborne, you know, mm. type thing, and it was more the battle between all the other battalions. You know, one, two, and wants to, six, yeah. and five, seven type thing. And every time, you know, we got banned from Queensland at one stage because. People just turn it on and spray painting donkeys and yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean. Just typical three hour. Like we everywhere we go, we just destroyed shit. Like it, it was, was it was it was identity. I, I think the worst thing they did, and obviously being a fucking digger, you know, narrow minded, but getting rid of the power capability. I know they said it costs a lot of money to keep that that capability, mm. but I think it was the worst thing they did, man. Oh, 100 percent, mate. Like, and I think what their their thought process was is that two commando could do it. No, they can't mm. do a battalion drop of you know, 500 men onto a battlefield. No, like you need that paratrooping capability. Yeah. Like it's it's invaluable. So, yeah, who mm. knows? Who knows what the army's thinking? Maybe one day it'll come back. Oh, you know, there's always rumours. Yeah, it's coming back, coming back. Mm. But, you know, as much as I hated it, only because I was a bigger boy too. So, you know, like I dropped like a fucking rock. You know, like it wasn't. Because oh, you give your pack off. And oh, man, like the on. I think the the maximum weight was 150, 160 kilos or something like that for, you know, with all your kit. You know, I was well over that. A couple of us are well over every time. So the little guys are just, they look like little, they look like a heavy drop type thing. Like you're literally <laughs> just kicking them out the back with all the kit strapped to them. Do you think, um, I mean, back in the day, World War World War Two, when they were doing para jumps into what France and stuff like that, that was, that was more, fairly undetected. This day, you're not going to drop a battalion no, undetected. No chance, so, no that, is there a point to have? I, I think it's just more rapid insertion. Yeah, I think that's why. Which is understandable like, if they're going to go down an SF route, smaller teams, rapid insertion. But, oh, you mean you mean to quickly get a whole battalion in? Yeah, quickly get a whole battalion behind yeah. the lines type thing. Not even behind the lines, but you know, if you got. I just like feel a, like with defensive technology and, and radar in 2022, if yeah, you drop a whole battalion that. in, you're going to have about 10% left by the time they oh, get in the ground. Yeah. They're yeah, getting you, your you, you would, yeah. yeah, you wouldn't do it into like a, a first world oh, country. Yeah. 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 If it was like Somalia or somewhere, we know they haven't yeah. got that technology. You're like, yeah, yeah 100%, yeah, let's yeah. do it, you know. But yeah, it's Russia. Yeah, we're not. Yeah, I'm not signing up for that one, mate. You'll get sniped out of the sky for sure. Yeah. Yeah, so... Yeah, then I, you know, I got out in two thousand nine. Accelerated discharge, moved up to Newcastle with my uh, ex partner. We had a kid at that stage, and um, 
it, that's when I started to, uh, you know, I'm only 20, uh, 27, I think, 26, 27, something like that. And that's when I, I fell apart. I fell apart for a good year, two years, you know, on the, on the booze, on the drugs, heavily on the booze, you know, and partying and just, I started nightclub bouncing as well. So, you know, I'm literally just left the battlefield into the nightclubs, dealing with little peasant 18 year olds and you know, putting them in their place, you know, type Mate, I thing. I can't deal with drunk people. I'm exactly. I and I didn't know how to deal with it either. So it was kind of, and you know, back in those days too, like, you know, late 2000s, he was quite, you know, RSA wasn't, that prevalent no. as it is these days. Bouncing men, punching shots, drunk yeah, people. There was shots and double shots and, you know, straight shots and whatever. So, yeah, it was uh, – so I was getting to fights every single weekend, smashing the booze and, you know, um, I ended up separating with my with my ex at that time and that's when it just even got worse, you know, as you know. You know that's how it, it – there was no – I think especially for us in that time and era, there was no real – uh, I wouldn't, again, this comes back to the whole PTSD, PTS thing. You know, PTSD is a lot different. You know, I think all of us suffer from PTS, which is just the, the life of being in the military and, you yeah. know, doing what we did. So I was, you know, hard, finding it hard to transition from the military life into civilian life. And um, I think what, what changed is when I started doing a little bit different work. So this is when I started getting into something more purpose uh, in life where I started doing a lot more executive uh, protection. So I got offered a exec, uh, executive protection job and uh, I started working for Frank Lowy down in Sydney as well as his dog handler yeah. and uh, doing static security and stuff like that and uh, obviously doing all their events and you know bodyguard stuff and then I moved into more bodyguard stuff with more executive clients and then that turned into the celebrity side of things as well. So for me, that gave me more purpose in life because I felt, you know what, I'm actually doing something that I enjoy doing and, I'm, you know, when I'm doing it, it's keeping those people alive. So it's, that's that's my satisfaction right there. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's, you know, to, to today's day, that's where all this security stuff, you know, falls in for me. I love to see people go out in a nightclub now and have fun and know that, if there is a fight, I'm going to be one that breaks it up type thing and people are going to be safe. Um, but, yeah, so I got into the, you know, the private stuff and then that's what led to, you know, Iraq and uh, the P- the PSD world, which is, you know, obviously for us being in the security game, that's the pinnacle. Like, you know, yeah, it's cool doing security here in Australia, you know, no pistols, no, no guns and whatever, but you get to Iraq, you know, you're looking after – ambassadors and the governor general, you know, he come to, you know, Kabul at some stage. The prime minister came, uh, Tony Abbott, he came to, you know, Baghdad. And, you know, he, with the PSD world at that stage too, it was transitioning from the army guys, the SAS or the MPs that were looking after him. They got to sit in the back of the car with, that's it. They, they, they can't get involved. If we get to a, you know, a stash or whatever, you know, it's up, up to the PSD guys to look after it because it's just part of the rules and regulations for how to operate in those countries. So a lot of responsibilities, responsibilities put onto us. Mm. Um, what kind of um, – so if you're sitting there, I mean, I suppose, I mean, just to get the, the – where you're coming from. Like if you're doing security for a celebrity. Yep. And you're like, right, if this – like proper close quarter protection for a celebrity, and you're like – what is the process if, you know, you, you jump in front of a bullet? What's your mental process? You're like, am I going to die for this celebrity? Are they paying me enough? Or like what's the... Yeah, I, I, you know, for me, 
regardless if they're paying you enough, which they should be. You know, most all the celebrities do. You know, if you if you're in the right line of work, working for the right line of people, you're going to get paid. Like I do, get paid really well. And, and what do they expect from you? Like, is there a big like you like you're going to take a bullet for this? Or well, obviously the threat. You know, it it it, it varies on the threat, and obviously. Majority of celebrities don't really have that threat of you know getting getting sniped like Donald Trump you yeah. know you know would so you know you get a lot of overzealous um, fans and there there are, there are the creeps out there you know like some of these celebrities will have a full profile of all their creeps that just literally follow them around the world go to every uh, country. yeah man like it's full profiles of these people and they know who they are and they're just it's kind of like the movie The Bodyguard you know when that that weird dude's sniffing the, the glove and stuff <laughs> that's exactly what it is you know you just get those weird people that just get fascinated and fixated with those with those people so keeping it keeping it chronological then do you what's the expectation who are you working for when you go over there and do private security in, in Iraq so uh, for my jobs I, I did a bit of commercial stuff in Mexico as well but that was more for um, executive executive clients, which was Mexico is just mental. But um, uh, Iraq and Afghanistan, I was working with the Australian Embassy. So right, so, you, so you're contracted to the government and is there expectations that if you're going out to protect the GG, oh, 100%. you're supposed to jump in front of bullets for them? Oh, you wouldn't, you know. Yeah, you would. I don't know if I would anymore, mate. Like I, that, was, that was part of the romanticised bit of joining the army. I'm like, yeah, I'd, I'd die for other people if they're... If, if, Stature. I'm like, I die for mates now, but that's about it. Yeah. I mean, I, I, again, I don't want to name sing, singly name politicians, but we'll use Skomo because he's the prime minister at the moment. I, as a 36 year old, he regards in a protection role. I would struggle to take a bullet for a prime minister. I just don't have that kind of American movie patriotism where you die yeah. in front of bullets for the, I, for the I, president. I understand that, but I do. I, I wouldn't would? say it wasn't. I wouldn't say it's uh, patriotism. It is more just me wanting to do the job. To my to, to the best of my ability. So All right. So going back to Max's a, question, is that do you, do you in a briefing pack or whatever you get when you first take on a, a private security role like that? Is there expectations? No, no, not no? not to that extent. You know, when you are doing these PSC jobs, you are working with other other grunts, ex cats, ex two commandos. So there, you know, everyone that's made it there is, you know, ninety nine percent absolute competent. You know they're going to do their job to you know to the best of you, to their ability. You know there's obviously that one percent, and that's like every job. There's always that one percent of just, just I don't know. How, how, they just slip through the cracks when they get there. Yeah. <laughs> and, it's about eighty percent of those. In, you know in the, the expectation, I guess. Again, because you're working in small little teams as well. You know, uh, Baghdad. You know, working with ten guys and four vehicles in Kabul. You know, we're only four guys and two vehicles, so it's a bit, it's a, a different uh, scenario, but. I guess as well, you, you know, if you don't fight, what gonna let your mate die? So you got to fight if you're not. Know I mean? Oh, so, getting yeah, no. So, so you so still get your client in there. So they, yeah. I guess they almost become collateral. So they're just part of the team at the end of the day. Yeah, oh yeah, I guess that makes sense. So, I mean, in my mind, I, I just envisage like if you get in a gunfight, and you're protecting the promise. Like, like get him down by all means and, and get into a gunfight. But if it's a single shooter, like every American assassination movie ever, where the dude runs out and dives in front of him and, and catches a bullet, I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if I'll be doing that nah, anymore. Now, nah, well, you know, at the end of the day, the the role of a bodyguard or you know, close protection uh, operator is to get the fuck out of there. You're not. Yeah. Your job is not yeah. to get into the fight and, and engage. That's that is not what you're meant to do. You know, in the army, like you hear a shot ring out, fucking let's fucking go charge. Yep, yeah, put the flags up and get the drums out, and we'll go head straight towards it. Well, mm. you know, bodyguard work. Even in the you know the celebrity side of things, it's the same thing. Get the fuck out of there. Get him in the car. Run away. 
run. That's that's your job is to run away. So I guess it's it, I guess it just doesn't happen. It, mm. it does happen, but you know what I mean. Like that's that's your first first priority to get the fuck out of there. What's the expectation for uh, you as a as a, for a celebrity? Is it to be seen and not heard? Uh, do they interact with you, or are they just? I mean, different people, different personalities. Yeah, they're all they're all different. I've worked for a, a decent list, a lot of A list, and uh, they're all different. You know, some are some are, some are fuckwits, mm. but that's just who they Damon. are. That no. Nah. <laughs> 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 um, and some are some are magical. You know, they'll they'll throw you you know a, a pineapple here and there, and you know like look after you, buy food, or you know what I mean, like and. But um, yes, yeah, so, some are a lot of work. But the executives are awesome because generally most of the executives are like sixty or seventy, and they're in bed by seven thirty watching Four Corners type thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. They're not out till three o'clock in the morning. I remember I got offered a job uh, probably four or five years ago for a quite a large A list celebrity. Father's uh, name is Billy Ray. <laughs> <laughs> you know she she got here, and you know the first thing she did, she went to a tattoo parlor at four o'clock in the morning in Melbourne. So I'm oh, glad I turned that one down. I was just like, I'll go ask for it, and I'm like, yeah, nah. I know, I know exactly what that's going to entail. It's just too, you know, I'm Long that's nights. that's not me. Yeah, that leave that for the younger for the younger boys to deal with. Mm. You know, I, I like the old the old blokes that you're in bed by. Have you, have you listened to her podcast with Rogan? But she's an interesting person. Oh, 100 percent. They're they're they're, they're genius. Like, yeah. they're, they're look at the success. Yeah, that, yeah. that doesn't. Just come overnight. That's that's work. Oh, absolutely. That's work. That's marketing. That's that's everything. That's talent. She she can sing. Mm. That's, that's not like that. Well, break mate. If I, if she's an actor, I mean, yeah, well, yeah, she broke up with Liam and Hemsworth too. I mean, I would I'd go through a bit of a bad stage if me and Liam didn't work out. Mate. Like, <laughs> bloody hell! And then she reinvented herself, didn't she? She used that. That was a marketing ploy to break out of well, the house. Who knows, mate? It probably know, always is. Know, yeah. yeah, exactly. But you know, at the end of the day, you got to look at these people. They're just they're just us. Yeah, you know, they shit their pants just look just like us. You know, they they pick their nose just like us. They're just yeah. human beings with more anxiety, probably. More, yeah, yeah, they're just yeah, humans with more, more anxiety than everyone else. Crazy fans that want to sniff their undies. There's not many people <laughs> that want to sniff my undies. <laughs> um, but yeah, so yeah, did the PSD stuff in uh, Iraq, which is super. Good. And the good thing about the Iraq thing, we had a lot of uh, British guys work with us as well, and. Um, you know, we, we had a, you know, a pretty decent incident that happened over there. It was, you know, in-house and it affected one of our guys quite severely because he was involved with the whole Jake Kovko thing back in 2005, mm. I think, 2006 as well, you know. Yeah, because we took over from... Sectet. Sec, we were Sectet 11. Yeah, I think this was Sectet 9. 9. 9. Yeah. 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 So, obviously... Um, yeah, that happened, and then obviously it happens again. You know, like you know, you're on 15 years later, or 10 years later, I should say, yeah, 10 years, and it was just, you know, that was that was that was a, another eye-opening thing for me because you know I had to, we, you know, when you know after he was dead, you know, we we couldn't use military establishments either, so his body was stored there initially, and then we had to put him out. You know, he's a good friend of mine too, you know, like. So we had to take him out to a you know this random Baghdad morgue like in Sada City. You know, Sada City was like back in two thousand Bad, Bad, the Badlands, and um, so we're in this random morgue. And the weird thing about this morgue too, there was uh, I've got actually got a photo or video of these uh, these guys in yellow jumpsuits getting walked into 
this they called it the courthouse right next to the morgue. How convenient! <laughs> <laughs> they looked they were ISIS fighters, so they turned out to be ISIS fighters. And because uh, we were getting the interpreter hit up on the, the guards, I thought it was just convenient that the morgue is right next to the yeah, because like the community. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so this morgue, like it was, it was like this is one thing that I can still smell. I can smell it now, just thinking about it. like it's, it's mental. And this was the height and the offensive of Mosul as well. So it was body stacked full of, and, um, you know, this is, uh, it kind of got to me for a little bit as well because, you know, I, you know, we took his, the body bag in and had to open it up because they wanted to take photos and he's got his ring on his finger. So I took, took the ring off his finger as well, just because I didn't want them to steal it. And long story short, he's, uh, even his wife, you know, she committed suicide not long after as well. So who are we talking about now? Chris Betts. Yeah, right. I was yeah, going to say, because the, the transition from the Kovko story, I'm like, how the fuck did the government not look after the yeah, Kovko? Well, that was a different PS, person. PSD yeah, yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. So where, you know, this is one thing I did speak about with you, you know, I'd like to, you know, try and push for the PTS, uh, well, PTS, the PSD world to, you know, even get some fun, especially the guys that were contracted to the Australian government as well. We've got a lot of guys that are having issues because, you know, they've gone from uh, – you know, being heightened level of threat to, um, you know, back to civvy life, especially after Afghanistan. Like the boys got smashed on the way out. Like, I've got some mm. videos I'll show you afterwards. You know, the boys were getting escorted by Afghan uh, by the Taliban to the airport. He goes, it was the most weird and oh, this the recent oh, one, most, yeah, like recent, yeah. This is re- this is from the Australian embassy, mate. The embassy just Taliban escort. Imagine that picked up and left. But um, yeah, so Baghdad was a, you know, and. Uh, Throughout Baghdad as well, you know, we lost uh, to PTSD back here in Australia and I think two guys in the UK committed suicide as well and I think we lost another two back here in Australia mm. pulled the pin as well. And What do you think it was? It's just accumulation of, um, I guess, being away all the time. You know, you're doing two months on, one month off, you know, living that military life, doing all your deployments there, then coming back to um, the you know, PSD while doing the exact same thing essentially and, you know, experiencing all this death and gore and, you know, every day you just don't know if you're going to get banged and it's it's not normal. Like yeah. it's, it's not a normal life for a normal human being. The money's awesome. Let's well, not lie there. Money's awesome. But it's, it, it almost ties back to that movie Black Hawk Down where, you know, Hoot's getting asked about being an adrenaline junkie. That's that's what it is. You know, we, we say it's not, but it is. We get addicted to... You know, carrying the tools around and doing the, you know, doing the work. Like it, it's a fucking cool job. Mm. You know, how many jobs out there you get to cruise around with, you know, four guys and two land cruisers around Kabul, you know, taking so a client around. Doing that job. So you know you're pretty safe. When you're going into Afghan or Iraq as an infantry, Australian infantry soldier, you know that. You got all AME, the support. You got everything. Everything, right? Yep. So PSD you, world, you got nothing. There's right, nothing. Man, yeah. You're lucky. Uh, the boys got banged in uh, Kabul, and um, this van pulled in between the boys and fucking detonated and didn't kill no one, but fucked the vehicles like hard and knocked the boys out, and knocked them around a fair bit, and uh, there's no support. I think at that stage too, but they were lucky because the Australian Army were like, yeah, we're, we're going to stand to for this one, you know, because they're Aussies. Yeah. But generally, yeah, there's, there's nothing. Like if you get into a stash in the, any of those countries, you're pretty much just on your own. Like, again, there's no yeah, there's no fucking there's fast no, air. There's no, no. you know, instant mm. response team that's going to come out and save your life. It's just you boys on your own. And, you, you know, 
it wasn't too bad in that, in that period of the time I was there. Like it was, you know, it was crazy. We had some crazy, crazy times where we, you know, go do a job and it was like there was one time that we went in, did a job and the roller doors started closing. It was like the movies, man. Like the movies, everyone just started hiding and packing up and it turns out there was like this rebel truck out the front just sitting there just waiting for us. Yeah. And I grabbed a client. She's like, she even she said to me, she's like, we're not going. I'm like, get the fuck in the car. We're fucking going now. TL just said, fucking, we're going. Don't care what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you get in trouble for that too. Well, they wanted him to stick around. Yeah, they want to stick around. Like, Wait to get butchered, boys. Rebel truck outside. And, and, you know, like Afghanistan, though, back in your time, or even sectet days, if there's no one around, that means there's generally going to be problem. shit. Yeah, it's That's when shit's going to happen. So, but um, yeah. And then obviously, I went to uh, Kabul, got the opportunity to head to Kabul for, a, you know, uh, do my PSD over there at the embassy as well. And, you know, looking at it now, there's I'm. I thought about it the other day. I said, I "Wonder who's sleeping in my room." Some, some, <laughs> some <laughs> Afghan is just in there. In saying that, whoever's sleeping in that building is don't turn the black light on because <laughs> it would be Blow. filthy. It'd be everywhere, especially if there's you know, it's generally just all grunts there too. So he could be anywhere. Yeah, in the mess. <laughs> Mate, I, I know we, we do want to cover this in more detail when, when we do that podcast with the other boys, a bit of a round table. But, like, I, I harp on this all the time. The number one or the main driver for anxiety in most of the boys is, is that subconscious feeling of, of not having security or, or not having backup. Like, let's, let's dumb it down and go, if you don't, if you feel like your life might be in danger and no one is supporting you, that causes chronic anxiety. And there's reasons for it, um, which we don't have to go into. But, that's I, th- I think that's a conversation that really needs to be had. Learning more, I've, I never got into the PSD world or mm. private security world, so uh, I never really kind of investigated it. But when it's obvious that the majority, if not all, private security contractors are ex-military, um, yeah, and yeah. they're going over the gov, they're, they're being employed by the government again, just privately, and you get none of the support, none of the, the none of the medical support, none of the military support, and definitely none of the support when you get home. That's a fucking problem because that means the government's consciously deciding we're going to pay private contractors to do protective work for government officials. Yep. They're going to get in gunfights. They're going to lose mates. They're going to have all of the stresses, double the anxiety because they don't have support, and then when they get home, DVA doesn't have to look after them. Correct. 100%. That's a problem. But it, it's, it's the joker from the in the, in the the uh, from the dark night. Yeah. Mm. He's like, look. If a truck full of soldiers blows up, it's supposed to happen, kind of, right? Now it's like, well, if we lose some PSD guys. It doesn't matter. No one knows. They're not in uniform. The, 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 the odd thing is that we've done a little bit of digging in 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 regards to it and, you know, there's, there's different types of contractors. You know, there's there's uh, security contractors, then you've got plumbers, you've got electricians. They're all covered under the DVA, I wouldn't DVA, the, the government contracts to be protected. So if something was to happen, you know, you're covered. But it was just excluding security contractors, which is super weird because all these security contractors, as we said before, are all veterans. Yeah. We've served our country and then we're, you know, doing a little bit more work as we want to. Great money as well. You know, it's good good uh, money grab. It's a deniability thing, hey. I, I, honestly, get, I don't if know. Get, if you get fucking knocked off overseas... It doesn't. Well, it doesn't go on the forty-four. It doesn't. Mm. You you go politically, on. it's fantastic. You won't see it, mate. You yeah. won't, how many people know that Chris Betts died? Mm. Yeah, exactly. It just, it just exactly straight out. And there's hundreds of contractors. There's. Yeah. I know there's a couple of contractors in prison still, like in Kabul and stuff. You know, they, they did some bad stuff, but they're in prison. But no one knows about them. They're stuck there for life. You know, like. 
a Kabul prison. <laughs> yeah, you know, over, over the last be. 15 years, especially in the Iraq War, the early days of contractors, they were just, they were getting killed more than US soldiers. Yeah, the numbers for those wars, they they, they released the numbers of the, you know, and they said, oh, the Yanks pulled out of Afghanistan. They said, well, this is how many soldiers we lost. It's double that. When in contractors. Contract, contractors. Yeah. And yeah. you got to look at the, all those contractors again. We're all ex, you know, they're all vet, the mate, majority love, were veterans. That movie, 13 Hours, hands down my favourite movie ever. I think it's about as real as, as anyone's ever made a, a war kind of movie, and that was all about the contractors in, in Benghazi. And they, yeah. thankfully, the CIA kind of looked after them, I think because it was so publicised. Yeah, yeah. Um, Aunt but Hillary stuff. They, like they were left. I mean, that, 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 yeah, Hillary fucked everything. That's what made con- everyone who's ever been in the military yeah. not like Hillary, yeah. Hillary Clinton. Um, but that was like, that, that exposed, as, as far as that was the first time I saw, like, how yeah. fucked, I guess, or how disconnected they, they allow contractors to be. You just, you're left on you're your own. Yeah. Kind of, again, because you can just be written off. You're written off. You're under the table. That's all mm. essentially what a contractor is. But again, there's the difference between security contractors and you know electrician. You know we're driving around electricians on jobs in Baghdad, and they're covered. Like, and they're covered, taking them to you know different client spots and treating them like like what they're government officials. Mm. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. It's great. You know, not many people talk about this because I don't know if they're too scared to. But I don't give a fuck. Well, yeah, I mean, to, get to, to devil's advocate, something to play the other side of the coin. They. You get paid two to three times the amount as if you were in uniform, right? So if you go over, if you go to the Middle East in, in wearing green, you're not getting security contractor wages, are you? Uh, mate, it's not far off, honestly. So what, are you have like what, yeah, give, yeah, six so, month six so, month trip? So, what would you be on? So Baghdad, you're pulling anywhere between twenty five and thirty k for two months. Two what? Two months work. Fuck. It's good money. It's good money. Yeah, that's. You know, it was five, six hundred bucks a day. Yeah, well, I guess the Australian Army overpays people overseas, yeah, so that's a bit hard. Definitely does. What were we in? in oh. We were about five. I was, I was away for eight months. Came back with a hundred grand. Yeah, so it was about minus 12, fifteen it was about, that I spent it was about in a, week, a week at Oktoberfest. Yeah, <laughs> it was about twelve grand in the army. I'm pretty sure uh, a month. Yeah, twelve grand a month. So it's not too much more. Being yeah, a true. Contractor. That's that. That makes it worse. Like I, I get. I mean, again, like I, I don't like. The, the, the side of the argument, but I could understand if government sits down and they're like, hey, we need to get some shit off the books. Let's pay some some young blokes twice as much and we'll, they, yeah. they can go over there and, and, yeah. and stay quiet. I mean, whether you like it or not, that I don't understand it. Like someone's justified it. But if you're like, hey, let's get them off the books, let's give them no support, but then we'll pay them the same as a digger from one That doesn't make sense. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it, the money's even gone worse. Oh, the, nowadays, the, yeah, the threat's so, dropping too. This is one thing that no one else will talk about. The, the Australian embassy in Baghdad right now, there is only one Australian contractor. The rest are all British because they're cheaper. The Australian government has gone fucking cheap on everything. You know, we, you know, even when I was in Baghdad, we were rocking old old AK-47s. I remember the first one of the first days I rocked up, I got my first AK. It was shooting sideways. It's like the b- barrels bent. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like yeah, it was like yeah, the bulls were coming out sideways. Like it was that's how mental it was. It was. It's just. And then obviously when we, when we went with Kabul, Kabul was run so much better, so much better. You know, it was a bit more, bit more infrastructure, and you know, our building was better, and um, you know, it was a bit more blast protection on the building and stuff. Like Baghdad, mate, there was nothing. Like it was, it was old school. It was AK forty sevens again. Kabul, we had M fours and Glocks and stuff. You know, cool stuff. 
you know, stuff you needed to yeah. do your job. But, but I don't know, I don't know what's going on with the government, but they're they're so cheap, and the money's insane. You know, the money back in the you know early days, you're looking at thousand US, fifteen hundred dollars US a day. You know, you had contractors pulling in three hundred thousand dollars a year. Mm. In the early days, but obviously, you know, yeah, you got to cash that check daily, but exactly, you? exactly, you had to mm. cash it daily. Um, but I, mean, I don't know, the government, our government's would depend. It's at all. I mean, this I'm getting older and more cynical, but it, it when you look at it, it depends on how politically okay that war is at the time. So Afghan, there was always like Afghan breeding terrorists. That propaganda piece was pushed really well. Yeah. The Iraq war wasn't, and everyone knew Bush was in trouble as soon as people started to join the dots and go, hey, maybe Cheney made this up. There's no actual fucking bombs here. We could be here for the wrong reason. And that's not sexy to sell, especially in Australia. So governments will spend um, the amount of money directly equivalent to how much the public will accept it. Yeah. And the public's okay to accept fighting for hunting terrorists. Yeah. Not so much toppling dictatorships because of America's agenda. So I, th- I think uh, Australia's budget in, in Iraq was always fuck all compared to, to yeah, Afghanistan. Yeah, it definitely was, but the budgeting could, you know, still AK-47s from... Yeah, yeah. Had, like how many US soldiers my AK kill? I don't know. It, I don't know. We don't even know where they come from. Like yeah. it's, it's that bad. Because And the, the companies that we're using, you know, that we're using Garda World, they're not even Australian companies. Like why don't you support an Australian company to get over there and mm. do the job? It's it's very odd, but as I said, like Baghdad, yeah, there's one Aussie guy. That's how much they've cut the money because yeah, yeah. you know a Brit will take three hundred bucks a day because that's you know them that three hundred bucks is pretty good for them in the UK. Whereas our you know our money like it's crazy pricing of living is inflation's just gone mental. Yeah. Which is in Australia, yeah. Really soon. Oh, don't get me started, mate. I think we I think we we dropped the ball through COVID. Yeah. We'll see what happens. Yeah. We'll so, um, yeah, I started my security company. So while I was in Baghdad before I went to Kabul, had a few drinks one night illegally <laughs> and uh, started a security company and didn't think anything of it. It was more of a, I was just going to get into bodyguard stuff, do more bodyguard stuff. And so, you know, left uh, left Baghdad, went to Kabul, did, did my time there. And then um, I got medevaced out of uh, Afghanistan. I ended up having blood clots in my liver. Had two blood clots and oh, I kept doing jobs. I was doing these jobs and just getting this pain and drinking too much. No, no, no. Just uh, they they never really found out, but they possibly said that it could have been bacteria in the water. Yeah, just right. just clotted the blood and just said eat a dick. Here's a, here's a blood clot. Here's right. two of them. So I got medevac. Like it took about a week. I was in just like honestly, I had a bullet on my on my desk. And that was like the one. I'm like, fuck. Thinking about that's it. That's how bad it was. Yeah, that's, right. This is the worst pain I've ever been through in my entire fucking life. They, they had me on fentanyl and it was not even scratching the sides. Like I'm just like fucking, I don't know, give me what what else have you got? Like, I don't know, give me some ketamine or something. <laughs> like, let's get this done with. So it was got that bad and like it, this is another thing, you know, like I couldn't go to the military hospital unless it was an emergency. Yeah. So I'm dying. I'm literally fucking mm. dying. My my liver is dying. No one knew. They took me to a a, a private Afghan doctor, which is like it was kind of like a, a doctor run for um you know contractors etc. So it was a bit more Western doctor. It wasn't your typical, <laughs> just a guy with a donkey and <laughs> stethoscope, <laughs> some crayons. <laughs> they couldn't figure it out, and then I went to another similar little contractor, Westerner style doctor uh, surgery, and same thing. They're just like, he's just he's more drugs. He's more tramadol. You get know, better. Just get better. You'll be right. 
kept doing jobs. Got to that stage where I'm like, I've got to fucking, you got to get me to a, a you know, doctor. a roll, oh, there's a roll two, roll two, a roll two surgery. Mm. So they took me to the, you know, the roll two and, had, you know, it's, that's when they started getting me on the on the drip on the on the fentanyl and you know it was it was like contractions so every like hour I'd get this full contraction like it was like far oh, far it was like I was trying to give birth to a baby. Liver was mm. trying to push your clot out. I don't know. Yeah, don't know. I think it was it was dying. Yeah, and it took about two days there. I'm just in excruciating pain. No food too. So I'm, you know I'm 120 kilos. I was about 115, 116 then. I lost. I dropped down to about 87 kilos. I look like ET, mate. Mm. Look like a just I was trying to phone home. <laughs> it was terrible. And uh, at that stage, the again, no no government support, nothing. No no matter back from the Australian government, no nothing. It was um, the company obviously had their insurance policy and so I was covered through under insurance through the private company. So they got got a you know private company in to fly me straight to Dubai. Within like half an hour, this little Egyptian doctor, he looked like um, – Oh, I don't know. He was just like a frail old doctor, mate. He looked like my granddad. And he's just walked in and did, you know, a few signals to his to his counterparts and they brought over the UV, uh, the uh, ultrasound machine. They did all these ultrasounds in, in, in Kabul as well and nothing. He's just done a quick ultrasound. He's like, blood clot. And walked out. <laughs> like, yeah, there's no uh, batteries in the one in, in Carmel, yeah. mate. <laughs> yeah, probably, mate. Yeah, he walked straight out, and then they just started jabbing me with uh, blood thinners. And the, you know, in five days, I was, you know, eating again. And you know, first thing I said to him, I said, "Mate, when are we get back to the gym?" And he's like, "Oh, give it, you know, give it a couple of months." I'm like, no right. chance, mate. So you know, after about two weeks, they put me in a in a um, hotel for two weeks, just like a quarantine and keep an eye on. I just started training and started eating and yeah, that was that was the end of PSD for me in in Kabul, which probably was a good thing because mm. it went to shit anyway. Was that time to just go, Pfft. yeah. Well, you know, I guess for that era, but I want to get back and I want to get back to it now, you know. But now I just got to carry more tourniquets because I'll bleed out. I don't clot. So oh, is that right? Yeah, yeah. So I'm on blood thinners now and heart pressure stuff, and I'm almost off the heart pressure stuff. But it's more blood thinners now for the rest of my life and. Again, I'll just carry more tourniquets, which is fine. You know. What? What? Where would you go back to the Middle East, or would you try and watch some oh, other yeah, country? Oh yeah, there's there's a talk at the moment of a of a job, so I might you know might take it take it up for a bit, and um, you know I'm still doing the bodyguard stuff as well. So I got out, left Kabul, I'm doing you know I've I've been touring. So during this whole time of Afghanistan, and Iraq, I was touring with Nitro Circus as well. Mm. So I'd Mate, go, yeah, I'd go, yeah, yeah, what? I'd go do uh, hostile environment stuff, and then you know there'd be like a two or three week tour in Europe. So I'd fly to Europe and cruise around with Nitro, the Nitro team, and you know, hang out with the boys and you know do their security and safety and stuff, and back to Kabul or Baghdad, and then yeah, so I kept doing that once I got back, uh, left Kabul as well. Which is still cool, and I'm still doing it. Like we've got the Australian tour coming up. I just got back two months ago. I was in uh, the US for three months, so that was pretty cool. And the US don't give a fuck about COVID. They're just like, mm. no, nah, mate. I got out of the bus. I think one day. Yeah, I was wearing the mask most of the time, like on the buses around the athletes. I didn't, you know, try and keep them sterile. Not that they were they're animals. Mm. Um, and I got off the bus. I think it was in Texas or Florida somewhere, and this. Bloke driving past and he's big F three fifteen. He's like, take that fucking mask off. <laughs> like, oh. He's gonna shoot me. But uh, yeah, man. So yeah, I've been touring around the world. But yeah, I'd love to get back into the, the PSD hostile environment. You can't beat it. 
like the thrill you get out of it and this job satisfaction, you know, you, it is, you know, the ultimate threat is doing that type of work. Mm. You can't get any better. So. But, yeah, I just want There'd be some interest. Is there places you wouldn't go? Like, is there contracts that say, hey, no. there's one in Africa. Which I, you, I'll go anywhere. You go anywhere. Yeah. You know, it, it, in saying that, if you're going with the right team, so if you're going with, you know, a group of good guys, you're like, 100% I'll put my life, you know, in their hands. I want one. As long as the money's good as well, you know, the money's got to be there. You know, let's let's talk about money. You know, money has to be there before you take on it. You're not going to go for 200 bucks. You know, I'll get 200 bucks, you know, working at McDonald's type yep. thing. So, um, yeah, so I started the security company as well. So obviously did that in Baghdad one night, one drunken night. Were you and like, oh, fuck it, if it works, it works? Or you like? Yeah, it was more to just, again, get into the bodyguard side of things. So we started doing it and then I thought um, – one of my other mates is like, do you want to get back into the? Because uh, bouncing, I love bouncing. Bouncing is good fun on the doors. You know, again, it's a satisf- satisfaction, uh, satisfaction of you know keeping people safe while they're having fun. So you know, it's started picking up some of the bars and clubs here in Newcastle, and you know now it's evolved to you know there's about 60, 65 people working for me now. You know, throughout Newcastle on the doors and. That when you're getting drunk on Anzac Day, you'll probably get kicked out by my guys. You know what <laughs> I mean? So still be banned. yeah, that's um, that's, that's. I was about to ask you like, what 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 is what what drives you to to want to go over? Because I would struggle these days. Well, looking at it, I go. I used to love the idea of of going overseas fighting bad guys as well. Now I'm not convinced they are the bad guys, and, and I'm not convinced we're not the bad guys. And, and it's all just a propaganda story. And I focus on that. And then I was about to ask you, like, what, why, why do you want to go to to foreign countries again? But I guess you just almost answered it when you say you like you enjoy doing bouncing on doors because you're you're protecting the people at nightclubs. Like it, it depends where you focus your lens at. Realistically, I'm assuming you go and do a private security job. If you're getting enough out of the fact that you are protecting your client's life. Doesn't really matter who the bad guys are or no, who exactly the other right, team yeah. are. Exactly. Yeah. I and guess. Yeah. The thing so. is, you know, the difference between me and you is that you, once you left the military, that was it. You didn't continue to security. Mm. You didn't. You can didn't continue doing that hostile, you know, playing with guns and stuff. Like I did. You mm. know, I, mean, I got straight back into it. Like it was, and it hasn't left me because I'm still doing it. You know, I'm still doing security. So, mm. you know, one day I'll get our security, like 100, because it is a stressful environment. Like, how many years can you keep doing this? It's yeah, the effect of just being at that high, you know, uh, awareness. You know, everywhere you go, you're like, where's where's the next threat coming from? Especially when you're working with a client, that's all you're waiting for. And it's it's more, you know, these days a threat for again for the celebrity people and executive stuff is you know it's getting powder thrown on them or egg thrown on them. But how embarrassing is that for the bodyguard? Because he should have stopped that. Yeah. Mm. And for me, if I, if that would happen to me, I'd be like, I failed. I've just failed. That could have been a knife. But it was just an egg. But it's what's more embarrassing, probably you know, copping an egg over your head type thing. Yeah. So you know, that's like Arnie's. What does Arnie get egg? Didn't he? Didn't he get egg? Oh, back he in the day, he goes where? Where's the yeah, bacon? He got, yeah. No, he got he got an egg cracked on him. Yeah, he got he fly kicked like a year ago, two years ago. They were in Africa, and this it's on YouTube. We'll have a look after this. Dudes just come up and just did a you know. Bruce Lee in the back of his back and the bodyguards are standing there. Obviously, when you watch the video, you can see the bodyguards aren't standing in the right position. But, this, you know, this is the problem with the industry as well. There's a lot of people out there that, you know, call themselves experts and, mm. you know, you know. You is know, it vastly unregulated? Like, is it like like CrossFit used to be like? Oh, definitely. Oh, yeah, no, I'm definitely. a private security. Definitely, like- definitely, definitely years in. Uh, the, the, 
the worst thing about it here in Australia is that people just do their certificate three and bodyguarding is like a six day course or something, and you know they stand up proud and I'm a bodyguard. Yeah, and it's up. So, I mean, no, I, not mate. Like, calm down. Yeah, calm and down. it's upsold by the course delivery company. Like, courses are just a. It is manufacturing That's, plant now. And yeah. like, we get them in to do a security course so they can bounce the door at Fanny's. Yeah. As soon as they're finished, the company wants to upsell you. Like, hey, you're pretty good. You want to do yeah. a bodyguarding do you course? Want to do a bodyguard, You've you never know. left um, your mum's house. You haven't been out of Newcastle, but you're probably going to be a once good you bodyguard. Of course, you'll be a bodyguard. Yeah, so exactly. You're not. It's a problem. It's a problem. So I go into a couple of these, um, one of these training providers at Belmont. Great, great people, uh, precision training. So if you are out there listening, you need to do some security, head out there and get mm. your courses done. I head out there and have a chat, you know, to the to the potential employees. You know, the way I look at them, they are potential employees for me, you know, to work on, on the doors and stuff. So I'll try and sell my product while I'm there. But while I'm there, I also like to teach them about, you know, the big bad world out there, you know, of, of doing security. You know, if you want to be a bodyguard, I generally ask them, do you want to be a bodyguard? And you get the one or two, put the hand up. And they're like, oh, yeah, I'm doing my Cert 3 next month. That, and, I, you know, I tell them straight up, that's not going to make you a bodyguard. You know, I did a lot more than just doing that. I flew to the U.S. and did a 10-day PSD job, a PSD course. You know, I flew to the U.S. another time to do just a, a medical, you know, five, six days of medical. And there's multiple other things I've done out here in Australia or New Zealand and uh, Southeast Asia just to upskill myself to get me to a level where I think I'm proficient at what I'm doing. Yes, the military and the PSD world has definitely helped me, you know, get to the level that I'm at and always, you know, always the military is always going to give anyone the upper the upper leg especially all the you know the vets are going to be listening you know the military life you got the, the way you got to look at it is that there's no other company out there that has invested that type of money to train you up into what you what you know especially the special forces guys you know they're spending two three million dollars just on one guy to train you up to, for you to do your 10 years in the army you're invaluable to a you know to a corporate company because you know, Mac is not going to spend $3 million on one employee to train them up to become a manager. No chance. That's mm. what they do in the military. And that's what a lot of our vets tend to forget is that you are highly trained. You've got a lot of, <laughs> like Liam Neeson, you've got a lot of skills. Yeah. No, mm. really no, no one ever thinks of it that way, but you are, you've, you've been invested in, a lot of money's been invested in just in you, even just a regular digger or, you know, even a, a blanket folder or, a, um, you know, whatever, whatever core you're in, you know, They've, money, they've spent a lot of money on you mm. to turn you on, you know, into what you can be in the military, and that transition straight into the in, into the into the civil world. And we don't see it when we transition. And um, I, one thing I do want to touch on is obviously when we when you know back in the day, all your qualifications in the army used to transfer over. I know they're doing it again now. But they stopped it at one stage because they knew that the retention rate was shit, so they'd stopped all these transitional courses. Like I had a cert. Uh, foreign pyrotechnics because I was in mortars. You know what I mean? Like I had no no, no idea about fireworks. I just you can get your cert form like oh sweet. Yeah, sweet. I got none. I, I didn't yeah. feel anything. Yeah, they didn't end up stopping at all. You know what I mean? They ended up cancelling all those all those certificate type thing. Mm. So yeah, there's um, yeah. So what do you do? Noting that you you live a high stress life. You you're running businesses. You're touring with nitrous. What? So they're all the the. What do you do to Sort of, I don't know. Recover. Switch off. Switch off. It's hard for me to switch off because you know I've got my security company. I've got uh, Ironlead Cartel, which is my gym brand. It's gym clothing, and I've got supplements line now, which is you know it's it's, it's going nuts as well. And everyone's that new year, new me type thing as well. <laughs> it works every year. And then I've got my tactical brand, and obviously Zero Limits podcast now is like just just taken off and. 
we're talking a super good, like Dan Pronk. And mm. yesterday I had uh, uh, Dr. Tony Brooks. He was a US Ranger that was on the retrieval mission for Marcus Luttrell. And some of these guys got mental stories. So I'm flat out like, I, I find it hard to turn off. You know, I'll wake up three o'clock in the morning going, oh, fuck, that's what I need to research. And I'm actually working on another pro- side project, another side project now with my daughter. She's going to have her own little skincare range. Yep. Yeah, she's good. Only, she's only five, you know. So I just, I was working on a logo last night and I've learned how to make body butters, which is. Make you know, it all natural. Yeah, make, Tell me it's all natural. I'm making it all yeah, natural, good. baby. Good. All natural. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, um, for me to wind down, uh, you know, you know, in saying all this too, you know, the, the the backbone I've had for the last, you know, six, seven years is my wife. She's put up with a lot of shit, you know, like especially with me, you know. Uh, you know, this is the funny story is we got married and then literally we landed in Fiji for our honeymoon. I get the email from Iraq. They're like, you're in. <laughs> <laughs> well, fuck, should I tell them now? Yeah. She's like, oh, fuck. And, you know, we, we've got two kids now and she's been the massive backbone, you know, throughout all of this. You know, she puts up with my shit. And, you know, we've all had past relationships and stuff like that. And, you know, veterans aren't easy people to deal with. No. You know, we're, we're hot-headed. We're, you know, we're sad one day. We're happy the next. You know, it, it's almost like bipolar with uh, veterans that leave the military because I, I, I can't explain it. I don't, I don't know. I don't know, and I, uh, you know, I do speak to a psychologist as well. I have for the last two years, and it's not because I've got PTSD. I don't have PTSD. I know for a fact, but I do have PTS, which I, you know, mm. it was under, yes. I'm I was watching Bill Burr the other night, and Bill Burr's walked around in his comedy stuff, and he's saying, I mean, he got molested as a kid um, in a you know Boston primary school, whatever, and uh, he says he walks around at like seventy. He's up. He's he's revving at seventy, and then his missus twists off. Like, where's all this coming from? He's like, like Bill Burr, massive example of PTS. Yeah, it's just that's on. it. That's yeah. it. And it yeah. He thought, and you know, we spoke about on when Adrian come on uh, Zero Limits podcast. You know, about the the difference was between PTSD and PTS. You know, well, I don't have a disorder, but we're still stuck in those hyper vigilant ways. And you know, uh, for me, like I drive here, my Mirror is up because I can't. I, I, if if someone tailgates me, that's the end of it. I'll get out. And I'll I'll fucking get out and let your tires down. Like, <laughs> not you know slowly. I mean? like, not yeah. slowly. Yeah. I guess you know. For me, that's you know. For me, driving in Baghdad or Kabul, where you know, if a car's too close, it's just a threat. You know, like it's. You know, I remember the the, the funny thing about the PSD world as well. You know, literally, you know, twenty four hours before, you know, you land back in Australia in Sydney, you're you know, hostile environment, drive around in these SUVs and cutting cars off and, you know, nudging cars out of the way and doing 150 kilometres down the, whatever you want to do, hitting the blue and red light sirens and just getting people out of the way type thing. And, you know, 24 hours later, you're back. I'm driving from Sydney to Newcastle just doing the same thing. And, yeah, I've had the police pull me over once. I'm like, dude, sorry, man. Like, I was literally in Baghdad less than, like, 15 hours ago. Just give me a break. He's like... He, he basically sent me, can, can you prove it? I'm like, fuck. He's a picture of me in Baghdad. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and he's like, yeah, fair call. Just, you know. That's a good job, mate. And I, I didn't think about it. Like it was literally just me just sitting on 140 on the freeway just because I thought that was – and it's funny because I'd, I'd be, uh, you know, weaving in, in traffic like – evasive driving and stuff like that. And it was just a subliminal thing for me to do. Now I'm getting better at it, but I still have hypervigilance. You know, I'll see like a, a bag tied in a tree. I'm like, oh, fuck. 
Mm. Try and put a car in between us. Change the terminology between being hyper vigilant and just being. They're skills that you learn. They're they're physiological skills that you learn to keep you alive. And I don't think it's hyper vigilance. I think it's just vigilance. And everybody else in Australia is walking around complacent, la di da. I think that's where human beings are supposed to operate or have done for the last hundred thousand years. Is that that? Place. Oh, 100 percent. Because you know, yeah, like, no, that's not normal. You're like, no, that is normal. Yeah, we're walking around in oh, 100 percent country. This isn't normal. Yeah, well, yeah. you know, you've got 100,000 years. Or I wouldn't say that long ago, but you know, back then you didn't have to worry about you know the other tribe. You, you had to worry about fucking lions and yeah. you know, especially mm. in Africa and stuff, lions and tigers. You're like your your vision is like, fuck. If I walk through here, is a, is a yep. tiger going to grab me? Mm-hmm. I think so. Um, yeah, so I guess for me. Going back to your question before, how do I relax? I, 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 I don't. Like it's just my mind is always just what can I do? How can I do it? Or something will pop up. You know, if I get an email, I'm, I'm, I'm bad. If I get an email, I'll get into my ops manager and business manager like reply to those fucking emails now. Like get it done now. I don't care if it's 2 o'clock in the morning and I'll do that. If I get an email from a client at 2 o'clock in the morning, I'm up replying, bang. Fuck you are. Oh, I can't you stop, man. Like this, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that, I think that's the problem. I think Mex is right. Like we are, humans are supposed to be in certain scenarios when you're out and it's straight, you're supposed to be vigil, hyper-vigilant. We just, our generation just hasn't been taught the, the tools how to turn off, which is absolutely the problem. Like you can't, you can't run hot 24-7. No, you burn out and yep. you age real quick because yep. you've seen chronic, chronic, chronic anxiety is chronic cortisol. So there's cortisol in your brain forever and that'll age you fucking rapidly. And most people are going, oh, no, I'm just chilled. Oh, they're not anymore because the last couple of years everyone's cooked. But most people are just not aware. They've got the blinders on. They're walking down the street, headphones in. You could walk up behind them and smack them on the side of the face. They wouldn't have a fucking clue where you came from, uh, which is the polar opposite. Like you want to be more alert than that. Um, but being... Redlining when you're on the freeway, again, is that a problem? Maybe not. It might keep you alive one day when some idiot tries to ram up the back here. But as soon as you get out of the car, off the freeway, into your own house, we need the tools to be able to go, it's time to, it's time to chill now. There's off. no yeah. threat here. Yeah. Um, and without that, it's, it's hard. And like you're saying, like I get, I think that's a, a, a trait from most successful hustlers is they just are on always. Yeah. Um, but I think that you got to, we got to find a way to. No, hundred percent. But I, you know, for me, I guess, you know, again, going back to you, you know, when it, when I try and relax, it's just literally lay on the couch. But I'm still watching YouTube. I'm watching mm. cooking videos. I'm watching how to make body butters. You know, I'm a 38 year old <laughs> man, war veteran, making body butters. You know, <laughs> lip gloss. I've been researching lip gloss. You know, the CIA or the F, uh, what do you call them? The federal police be watching my shit going. This guy doing? He's watching lip gloss videos now. He's, yeah. yeah, but you know. So you haven't got a name for it yet? I do. Yeah, it's, it's, it's yeah. Oh, not yet. It's it's quite simple. It's just a name, really. So it's not, yeah. her name. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's but cool. it's going to be cool stuff. And I, you know, I know how the kids doing it. So and I actually I kind of use my research time as almost like it's like my downtime. Mm. And you know, when that you know who wants to be a millionaire comes, I'm pretty good at that show because. I, I just watch everything. You ask my wife, like I'm watching how food is made. I'll tell you how um I'll tell you how anything's made. I'll tell you how chili sauce is made. I'll show you how to do it. You know what I mean? Like I know yeah. how it's done. I know it's done because I watch all that shit on YouTube. Yeah. So I'm always trying to learn how to do things. You know, again, like coming back to the the clothing brand, you know, that's all me. I mm. showed you how to do it all. Yeah. I you know, before I started, I had no idea. I just made it all up and 
Here it is. It's, it's, it's yeah, that's gold. Cool. That's what I liked about your setup and your warehouse. And that's what we started talking about the potential for in the future building like creative spaces. Cause some of this stuff, and that's why I'm actually considering it after seeing your setup. The, the merchandise that we do, we've outsourced everything now. Like someone else makes it, goes to a fulfillment center. So then at the moment, the clothing, we, we only have basic logoed stuff. We haven't come up with anything creative because we've, started to treat it like oh, it's just a product for people who want it when it's there. I don't want to think about it. Whereas the point of it, the way you've got it set up, it's like it's almost like it's a hobby where you're getting anything manual like hands-on is, is great meditation. So you're spending X amount of time a day printing shirts, packing them. It's like manual mindless labor yeah, yeah. that's good for you. Yeah. And that's why I'm, I'm thinking maybe, one, I don't want more stress. Like I don't want more jobs in my life because I've got too much on my plate as well. But at the same time, like some of the fun stuff, printing shirts, oh man, it's packaging it's, shit like that. That's something that I might consider bringing back in house. Yeah, so. and that like going back to you again. That that's another way. You know, I like to just de stress. I literally go into my you know my office is upstairs. I, I haven't sat in that thing for yeah. a year and a half. Literally, I go up there to print out labels. That is it. There's not nothing up there, just a computer and a desk now. Everything is downstairs in that in that creative space. You know what? We, mm. you know, that, that's just like my area, and I find that part of my time to relax is print some shirts. And I bought a you know fourteen thousand dollar embroidery machine. I had no idea how to fucking use it, <laughs> but I've worked it out. You yeah. know what I mean? Like they said they're going to send someone over to help show me how to do it. I'm like, don't worry about it. I'll figure it out. And bang, and I'll I'll whip up a shirt if I need. You know mm. I mean, I do all the security, all our all my security uniforms. I do it all. And I guess that's another thing with uh, veterans. Like we just like to, I think, uh, you know, a lot of things you were taught back in the day is improvise mm. and get it done. Yeah, I think the time constraint stuff, I can enjoy, I mean, me, me and Sats were talking about this. I can enjoy pretty much doing nearly anything, even mundane, washing the dishes, whatever it is, as long as there's no time constraint on me. Yeah, like right. I can take it to a, like mowing the lawn, a little bit of Zen garden stuff, turn it into a game of fight in your brain, whatever it is. As long as there's no time constraint. As soon as you put a deadline and a time constraint, like driving down the freeway the other day, like you fucking right. patience, man. Yeah. Yeah, right. As soon as you've got a deadline, you, you start stressing about running late. And that, so that's, I mean, this is what we, we're kind of tossing up at the moment. I do, yeah, no, definitely. Because I run three minutes late today to come here and I was stressing. Yeah. Fuck, I'm late. Man, this is, this is part of, this is a big part of, um, my move through like changing identities. I, I've, I've, when I left the army, I, I grew my hair, didn't, I just became a bit more of a hippie. Like I, I do believe that everyone's got X amount of personality pieces in them. Um, and I want to move more far further away from the young version of me that just wanted to be the hardest motherfucker on the planet to the hippie version that doesn't like wearing shoes, yeah. doesn't care about. And, and part of that for me is stopping stressing about running late. Like that is a, I don't like the way Western society's built. There's a lot of things I'd love to see change, and one of the big ones is we are addicted to the clock. Um, yeah. Uh, but at the same time, I'm also pushing a model that goes you will reduce stress if you structure your life and, and get a routine. So that's what we're playing around with now. Like time boxing is this thing that's coming out. It's going do X amount of jobs per day, have them set out in a routine, but you don't have to start and finish at exactly the right time. Just get them done at some time of the day. Um so I guess the, the the lead up here is is do you do you have like a routine? You've got a bunch of businesses. Um, I, I know that a lot of them are in the startup phase still. Security companies obviously highly successful. Yeah. To manage them all yourself, I know you got a team, but you said most of this stuff is just you. Do you have structure and routine, or do you just? Win? Um. Yeah. De definitely. Uh, for the security business, yeah, definitely structure. There's you know 
Monday's, um, you know, I'm kind of lucky because my operations manager, he's uh, X3R hour, like modern day 3R, crap hat, no, no wings. I give it, give him shit every day. <laughs> he calls me a lid. Um, so it's, it's kind of good to have him on board and, uh, you know, have that military mindset as well. So, you know, he knows if I get pissed off at him, it's just a, you know, the old knife hand and you fucked up, fix it type thing and that's it. It's not, yeah. it's not personal, it's not emotional, it's just fucking get it done. So, yeah, my the security business is structured. So, you know, Mondays are this, Tuesdays we do this, Wednesdays we do this and, you know, we're, we're starting, you know, it's in an evolving process as well. So there's more and more stuff that we're adding and, Stuff like that. So yeah, when it comes to security, it's structured. The way we mm. do things is structured. With the other stuff, it's it's hard because it's the sales, like it's in the commercial, you know, the the retail sector. So it's just when an order comes in, just get it done. So mm. I'll be doing security stuff, and then I'll just jump on the side, turn the press on, and um, print some shirts up and embroider shirt, whatever, and then send it out and get back to the security stuff. So yeah, yeah, right. in some way there is structure, you know, I guess I'm kind of lucky again. I've got um, Lachlan and uh, Adam in the office as well. They take over a lot of the the day-to-day stuff that, you know, I used to do from the start, but, you know, so I don't have to really worry about it. I'm, I'm more dealing with the, you know, the ATO every fucking week. Jesus Christ. Mm. Giving them money every, oh, yeah. what a criminal organisation that is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, and dealing with all the police and licensing and all that type of crap. Mm. So, yeah, there is structure. And yeah. I guess, you know, being veterans, that's what we do. It's, But I am pretty lazy at home. That's that's my – you know, I've gone from, you know, in the, the military life to having everything, you know, perfectly folded and you're getting room inspections every single week and keeping everything tip-top and, you know, as soon as – I left the military. I got pretty grub. I'm pretty grubby at home. My wife picks up a lot of that slack, which mm. is, you know, <laughs> I appreciate you. Um, but when it comes to the businesses, yeah, it's all structure. And that's the only way I think a business can move <laughs> forward and get big, bigger and better is structure. Without structure, you're – and it's the same as like a military operation. Without structure, there's nothing. You can't You can't do nothing. Without communication, you can't do nothing. Yeah. Without the supply, you can't do nothing. Without the leadership, you can't do nothing. Yeah, mate, I completely agree. I think to, to start companies, you need a massive amount of structure. And we've, we've fought different ideas back and forth over the last year and a half and we're finally getting to the point now where I think we, we've got the processes in place that it's it's the charity side that's running well. The, the, the cash with mine, again, it's like mindset and identity is part – I'm very logical thinking some days and I'm, that's when I love to do business planning, set routine structures, whatever. But then it comes down to content creation. It's like there is – Part of creating content is like you want chaos. So you, you, I don't I don't want to be clean, tidy. Like I'm happy to have a mess and shit everywhere, but it's kind of controlled chaos. And I don't if, – if I wake up in the morning on an admin day where I've got to do like write grants or whatever, it's like I can put 10 till 2, I'm doing X, Y, Z and, and just get it done. On, on content creation days, it's like, all right, if I'm going to spend the day coming up with a, a, a concept or a storyboard, I might sit staring at the wall for three hours. Like you can't be creatively productive on schedule. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is, which I guess normally you look at it and go, well, there's that type of person that's logic driven, that type of person's creative. But more and more we're seeing now, especially with like young startup kind of entrepreneurs, you need to do both. So I don't know, we, we, we're still playing around with what is the, the happy medium. We're kind of looking at it now going, there's an admin week, then there's a creative week. Just go week on, week off, because I, I find it impossible to switch my brain on the same day. Oh, 100%. From logic to, yep. to creative, but yeah, and that that's you know that's the veteran mind too. Like we are creative. Like mm. again, like you're out field, so you'd think of a better way to 
you know, heat your food up. You'd think of a better, easier way to do things as well, you know, because as much as, yeah, the military was about cutting corners. Like if you could cut a corner wherever you could, you'd do it just because it meant more social time, if you know what I mean. Yeah, they reckon the lazy people are the innovators, aren't they? Like, they are. Because mm. they want to cut corners, but yeah. they'll think of a better way to do things, which end up turning out to be the better way yeah. to do things. Mm. So, you know, like it's um, it's crazy. But going back to the time thing too, like, you know, how do you teach a veteran to, you know, switch off, you know, setting the schedule and time? Because that's what you're taught, you know. If, if the bombs don't drop on that on that H hour, people, think, people are going to die. Okay. You know, that's mm. what you used to say all the time. As opposed to working to a time, I would say I think people don't do proper time analysis. Um, so they don't go, they go, okay, right, so I've got to, yeah, pack up, go to the car, get in the car. It takes me seven and a half minutes to get to where I'm going, so I'll just leave in ten minutes. And then they get on the road, they're like, oh, that one thing goes wrong. Yeah, your your fucking time goes out. So yeah. I, like, do a proper analysis, put on a window, and just cruise. Just get in the car, mm. about mirror, whatever you no mirror, so I don't fucking kill someone. And then like daisy it. Try to relax and get the time off. Yeah. Still, I think it's still going to be subliminally there, the deadline. Yeah. But if you set it and you leave enough time and just – it sounds super simple, but you mm. watch everybody fucking red light on the way to work when they've left it. You know, the kids start twisting off and you're like – you watch as soon as you start flagging, it's because someone's impacting the time. Yeah, oh, 100%. Yeah. 100%. Does Swiss 8 have anything like to help with – Time management. Well, I mean, that's what the app's for, is the, and that's what we're looking at at the moment because we've got a few features that we're rebuilding, uh, and I'm just looking at maybe putting in a time boxing thing because at the moment, the, the primary function is there's a whole bunch of programming. For anyone who hasn't downloaded the app, you bloody well should have if you listen to this podcast. Um, but then the the main function is to the, the way it's set up on a calendar. So if your your training program goes for 60 minutes for fitness, right, in the morning, hypothetically, you do it, you'll set that at the same time every day just to, to help you build routine, uh, which was the initial kind of MVP or minimum viable product model was uh, our core demographic were people who really needed to, to get some structure in their life. Now moving forward, like even me using it personally, I'm like, I, there's parts of it that I want to be really tight and structured and there's other parts that I just want to have to tick off to do sometime today. Yeah. So that's something we're looking at um, building in potentially. So more of a time boxing model. So you can choose whether you want to do lock it into a set time every day to get in, into a routine and then, um, or you can pick that program and just have it on your list to tick off the yeah, day. Because gotcha. there's, um, I mean, I, I fought with this too. I'm like, on one hand, if you want to be efficient, structure yourself. The same and, and, and set a routine and, and that does remove anxiety if you're in a routine. At the same time, as soldiers in the military, like you're always taught, you set a routine, you're going to get dead. Yeah. Like if you go on that's patrol it. at the same time, the same route every single day, you, you better be ready yeah. to get blown up. Yeah. So I'm like, and that's and that's what com- is conflicting for me too. I'm like, if I really wanted to get tight and, and say I'm the ultimate Swiss 8 app user, I would be at least five days a week, maybe seven, um, doing the same stuff every single day mm. and I'm like that's a good way to get killed like that creates anxiety when I start thinking about it like that so I think we're going to end up the the again we're going to start doing things really slowly we're, we're going to stop rushing stuff like Mix was saying because I, I love putting unrealistically short deadlines on things <laughs> and we're just going to cut that away and cut our own stress out and just go if we can do it in a year let's think about doing it a to a higher level and take two years to do it so I think the end state maybe two years from now we'll have every possible 
routine slash non-routine combined together. Yeah, I, th- I think the hardest part too is that you say there's a two-year end state, but it's always going to evolve. That's, that's, oh, exactly. That's yeah. always the hardest thing. Like, you know, every couple of years, just things change. Like technology changes, so you got to change your process. And you know, you know, especially in our security world now, you, we've we've gone from signing on, you know, on paper to to apps now. So, and the apps are only just getting better and better. So now you can track guards and. You know, as soon as they walk into the area, the geolocated area, it'll sign on for them type thing and they can't sign on unless they're inside that area. So, you know, there's a lot of anti-cheating mm. devices out there as well. So it's um, it's always just – I think everything's just evolving. So it's making it – it's hard, harder, I suppose. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's not easy to get into business. Like it's definitely – so much easier to work for someone else. No stress. Like, you know, I was with a couple of three-hour boys the other day. Uh, we had a barbecue in, uh, on Australia Day. I sank a whole bottle of tequila. I shouldn't have. <laughs> it was mental. Uh, but, you know, I was talking to one of them. You know, he's pretty established within, you know, the uh, horticulture side of things. Um, what do they call Arbitrist. Arbitrist. Arborist, the tree, Arbor- tree chopper. Yeah, tree, tree droppers. You know, he's he's been doing it for years and I keep asking, why don't you start your own thing? He's, oh, you know, I'd rather just work for someone else. It's just easier because it is. Yeah, no stress. Absolutely, yeah. You know, you knock off at five o'clock, turn that phone off. Someone calls at five o'clock, your boss calls you up. No chance, mate. Yeah. Can't answer mm. yeah. But I'm different. Like, if it was for me, I'm the employee. If I was the employee, you know, I'm that type of guy that, you know, it's quite, the boss calls at two o'clock. I'm like, yep. Yeah. Need. Yeah, I'll do it. Yeah, sweet. Mm. So, yeah, it's hard. Uh, yeah, I, I absolutely agree, man. I, I, but I, I couldn't work for someone anymore. Like, I, um, Unless I really, I just found that when I got out, like even going to doing bits of piece work with reserve units, I'm like, unless I know you and I trust that you know what you're talking about, because I spent so many years in the military going, I'm going to trust that dude just because of the rank on his on his on his shirt. Yeah. And then over time, thinking critically, especially when I first got out, I'm like, half of the people that I listened to didn't know what the fuck they were talking about. Yeah, I'm like, I can't, I, I can't be a yes man anymore and go, I'm going to listen to you just because of your rank. Like you have to know what you're talking about and you've got to prove it. And that's why I was like, I, I don't think I can work for someone anymore. Yeah. But you're insane that you're 100% right. Like I, there's, I, there's days I wake up and I'm like, why didn't I just go and volunteer one day a week for RSL and help them make that better and spe- instead of spending eight days a week for, for the last four years working 23 hours a day yeah, trying to build our own thing. But There's yeah. satisfaction in it though. Like, Absolutely. You know, there's no, no, like in saying that, there is no better feeling than having your own business, you know, like. Like Monday morning, or you know, my daughter's first day at school, so I don't have to go to work if I don't want to. Mm. I will, like after I drop her off and do her thing. But you know, if I was to do that with a regular, you know, someone else coming up, be like, nah, it's too bad. You got to be at work at seven o'clock. Mm. You know what I mean? So that is the positives, and uh, there is real nothing out there to teach people how to get into business. Mm. You know, obviously, you can go do your cert for in business and stuff like that at TAFE and stuff, but that still just teaches the fundamental bullshit that you don't really, you know. The, the basic stuff, I suppose. You know, when I started the security, I had no fucking idea. I, I, I didn't even know how to send an invoice to a client. You know, my first mm. client was Nitro Circus as well. So I sent it, you know, <laughs> <laughs> multi-million dollar bloody company and I'm sending an invoice for the first time. I'm just like, oh, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> I was straight on the QuickBooks and had QuickBooks is just like, oh, Jesus Christ. What are you doing? What is like, this? It's not, yeah. This is not where I park my car yeah. type thing. So, yeah, I think, uh, you know, if, the, if there is anyone that's going to be listening, they want to reach out, I'm happy to. You know, I've, I've helped establish a couple of boys set up their businesses, their own businesses now and teach them, you know, how to deal with the ATL and how to speak to whoever you're dealing with, you know, and do the research to figure out, you know. But at the end of the day, as we spoke earlier, just do it. 
Yeah, mm. Just if you think you've got an idea, even if it's, I don't know, some new fancy mug that can, I don't know, do whatever. Like, just do it. Do it. You're going to spend five, ten grand. Who cares? Absolutely. I think. Spend yeah. money on stupider things, you know? Yep. Like, so mm. just, just do it. You got nothing to lose. If it fails, it fails. If it wins, it, who knows? You could be satisfactory, you know, satisfaction in making it or, you know, you might get financial, you know, rich at it. Mm. I mean, we used to see this in Bataan all the time. You see guys arm and arm, whether they're, they're going to go SF. And then you're like, dude, put your fucking just do app it. in. As soon as they put their app in and they sign it, that's their it. fucking mentality Switch. changes like, now I've got to fucking do this, yep, right? 100%. For a number of motivators, yeah. one, they don't want to look like a shit can. Yeah. Uh, and two, they've got to start. Like that was the decision point. Yeah. It's just, I guess, you know, same in business. What, like I wouldn't know what the transition process is like now. Is it, you know, I know when I discharged, you had to go do, you know, a couple of weeks of, you know, PowerPoints and they were just death and just like shut the fuck up, just get me the fuck out type thing. Is it, you know, is there better things now where, you know, they, you know, fun things or is there better PowerPoints? Is there external businesses coming, you know, ex-veterans coming and going, listen here, this is this is what you can do. This is how you can do it. You know, we can help you. Yes and no. I mean, you next transition most most recently, but from what, before he tells the full story of that, like I, I've, the, those ideas, everything you said, of great ideas and they need to be implemented, but they need to be implemented by ORs that have transitioned into that kind of stuff. Exactly, Because yeah. what they've done, people have, pitch this and DVA's got this joint transition authority getting set up now and part of it is like how do we how do we better upskill people but we're still making the same government's still making the same mistakes they're going we've got these diggers or these land tracks or full tracks that, that got out five ten years ago they've given us these ideas instead of letting them build a concept let's go to the, the the big giant companies that have failed so many times in the past and give them twice as much money and see how they can ruin it um like the prince's trust is is, is Got a decent reputation, but it is a top-down organization. It's been built by people at the top of the food chain, and they're like, if we can, if we can get a few good photos of some young diggers going through this, then it's a win. Yeah. Whereas what it should be is like low, super tiny budget, get as many people through as you, and, and get it run by people that have actually like yourself, having yourself on there, someone a, a, an OR that's gone out, started their own business, successful. Let's get them teaching people some stuff. Um, but they don't. We we tried to put one together with um, Camp CRSL, and that, that that was a good. I thought that was a good concept. It was like a, a tech startup accelerator kind of model. Um, but then Camps has gone off on their own, and they're doing their own thing now. I'm not really sure. Adrian Humphreys came through it when we did that yeah, pilot yeah, yeah, with it. Yeah. I don't know where that's going. I, I think. Um, but yeah, all of those ideas, like just giving giving people the tools to get. To learn how to start businesses, to do to the, any of that kind of stuff, I think is what needs to be in the transition yeah, process. But what I mean, what nah, they, they don't know what they're doing at the moment. They got one officers teaching people how to be a civilian. They joined the army at seventeen. He's been, been in the whole time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you're like, dude, what? What the yeah. fuck do you know? Man? Yeah, right. Yeah, right. They do have external agencies. We did some talks with the HPC. They're trying, man. Like we did some talks when we say a couple of years ago. We used to go in there and teach people. Once they get out, like your nutrition and health is largely up to you. So maybe do these, some of these things. It'd be sick. The biggest, the biggest issue with that was the cultural thing because it's still the people booking speakers for transition courses are officers, right? They're young officers, so so captains ish. Um, and the, the culture in the military is ORs apparently don't know shit, and officers are really smart. That's still there. It's like still from hundreds of years ago, British British um, kind of model. 
And an officer, they, they need to see certifications on paper. Like if you've done a uni course, you're a smart person. If you join the army, you're not. According yeah. to a cat. And again, I'm, I'm generalizing a lot. We went in there. We'd been we'd been running Swiss Aid for a year and a half or so. Um, we'd written a bunch of course material. We'd done a bunch of internal research itself. We'd built the app. Lavrak, so, so three brigade asked us to come in and give holistic health um, transition training to these people that were either medically injured so they couldn't do their job or getting out. And they even said, like, we sat down with the people who, who put the course together and they were, she was a captain and she was like, oh, we've we got this dietitian that comes in and we pay her X. We've got this dude, PT, that comes in and we pay him X. And we're like, all right, for us to come in, you're going to have to pay pay X. And she's like, no, 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 you guys have got to do it for free because we used to be ORs and we were soldiers. Back yeah, right. Then. So, and again, this is this is, might be arrogant, but the people with the most lived experience, the ones that have done it, been through it themselves, that have worked with psychs and PTs and dietitians to build course material, in my mind, the ones providing the most value, because the, the, the dietitian that comes in has never worn green. She doesn't know how that, that smoking dairies and drinking Red Bulls is a staple of that person's diet. Like... We, I believe, had the most value to offer and because we used to be ORs and we were addressing a captain, they assumed we should come in and do it for free because we're just giving back to the to the military community. And I get that, but fuck, that pissed me off. Yeah. Like it's, it's a no-brainer for them to pay a PT, to pay a dietitian, to pay a yoga instructor. As soon as you get someone to come in and talk actual life experience yeah. to transition more successfully, they're like, nah. It's got to be free. Paying a private business, it's paying a charity so that we're not expending funds doing so, preparing stuff that people have donated. Like, can you give us a handy? Like, it's a charity. Yeah. I'm like, nah, we just do it for free. Like, okay, fuck it, righto. Yeah. Yeah. Like, do you reckon the defense does it on purpose for retention? I just think they're silly. They just don't want people to leave because if they do, then they're not going to have a defense force. I, I think the fact that there's a suicide royal commission right now, the, the veterans killing himself is more important to government right now than retention. I, I think, yeah. and, and it should yeah. be, and, and that, that's good. But I, I think it is just system that the culture within the systems of government, defence, and DBA—they're all top down. And and until that changes, like we we could whinge about this all day. I don't want to turn talking to you into a big whinge, but. Last year we ran the barbecue campaign. Mex and and one of the other blokes set up like manually, rang the boys at every battalion all around Australia. Every every unit had people set up just going, hey, we're having this barbecue for Remembrance Day. Get your diggers, get them connected. Just have a barbecue. That is it. We're not don't. If you want to raise money, that's cool. Just get your diggers to organise barbies on booze a day on a Thursday. Arvo, the battalion went off like a house on. Uh, everyone was in like all ready to go. Um, and then the three brigade commander a week out cancelled everything north of north of um, from Townsville up north Queensland everything got shut down why and and again there's a bunch of motives but I just don't believe they understand the value of lived experience and, and the message that's coming from ORs it's like did a general or a, or a um, professor at a uni come up with this concept the answer is no mm. then they're like no don't do it yeah like it's, the, the culture is wrong it's like. When when uh, five six hundred officers take their own lives and and an officer comes up with a solution because he knows I'll, I'll start paying attention yeah but generals are so fucking disconnected oh, from yeah. diggers yeah. that the culture within these departments is is completely backwards yeah that's enough whinging about government we'll yeah move on to something positive. yeah, 100%, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. so what's where's, where to next man what's um, obviously, uh, you know, we, the security company's going really good, really good, really good. So it's, um, you know, it's turning over a couple million a year, which is always a good mm. thing. 
um, no, it's not just me as well. There's heaps of my other veteran mates that I was in three hour with. There's a lot of boys doing good things, you know, like taking their businesses to the next level, not even businesses, you know, whoever they're working for, you know, because some guys that are high up in the chain at, you know, one guy's high up in the chain at Hungry Jack's, you know, like he's making good coin and yeah. make. I love Hungry Jacks. That's good burgers. So, you know. We're going to have to uh, cut that out, mate. Don't eat Hungry Jacks. <laughs> no fast food burgers, please. No fast food burgers. Um, for me, I think uh, I'm just going to carry on with this security stuff. You know, I love it. I can't, you know, eventually I will get out of security again because just, I just, you know, I probably need to escape from that high vigilance type thing. Um, you know, I'm really interested in the whole embroidery and, no printing stuff. I love that stuff. Like, again, it's it's kind of soothing, and you know, who knows where this skincare stuff's going to go? You know, for mm. my daughter. So I'm actually enjoying watching videos on YouTube how to make that stuff, which is still pretty fun. So you know, in the next, uh, we're moving too. So we're moving. You know, there's only me and my wife and two kids at the moment. I've got four kids in total, uh, two that live with me, and the two. You know, we're in a small two bedroom unit at the moment, and you know, we're better. You know, we were meant to move in our new house, like four or five months ago, COVID's put a spanner in the works and obviously stuff's coming from China that does not get yeah. here fast enough type thing. So it should be ready in the next couple of weeks. So we're moving out to Gillison Heights in a, you know, big brand new house. So it's going to be good for us to create more of a routine, especially for our kids. Obviously, mm. you know, they're sleeping whenever they want now and it's just too hard. We're all in the same area and the mm. lady next door passed away a couple of weeks ago and in, like in her, in her apartment, so it was just mental and mm. I'm, I'm still a bit freaked out about it. <laughs> How old was she? Was that any? Well, just, oh, just, how old? Oh, I don't know, 60s, 70s. Oh, so probably, probably COVID, according to the government. Well, yeah. <laughs> died with COVID or died of COVID. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But she was crook and, yeah, so I just want to get out of there and it's a shitty building and uh, it's been great, you know, it's, it's where we've established everything. But, yeah, it's going to be good to get out into the new house and I guess from there too I'll be able to figure out, you know, exactly what I want to do and, um. I don't know. There's always something new f- for for me. Like uh, you know, I you know I want to uh, talk about meal prepping. You know, off offline because that's something I wouldn't mind getting into. Oh mate, I'll tell you the ins and outs of that. Yeah, it's a good way to burn money. You know, nah. yeah, I think uh, you know part of my supplement side of things. Why not offer a you know a short little meal plan type thing? Like, I think it's just a another think you know, about. Well, I mean, if you want to do it yourself, go nuts. I, I mean, I had that that meal delivery company for, yeah, remember, for about yeah, five yeah, years, yeah, and it yeah. was. It's full time, man. There's not a lot of profit margin in food. Yeah, well, I think it's for us. We're lucky that we've got the clothing and the supplements as well. So yeah. it's more of just another product. Look, look, you know yeah, I mean? yeah. So oh, I know what you mean. Just, yeah. yeah, we're not just doing. Yeah, but anyway, that's 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 another just another idea. But yeah, yeah. I mean, there's always ideas popping up in my head. You know, um, you know, speaking of Dan Pronk the other day, you know, he's building a you know low production car that's going to be coming out. That's <laughs> People, do you yeah, know? Yeah, Delta, Delta Automotive or something. Like, is he? Yeah, no shit. Like a full, like hot rod style, a uh, lamb because he loves his Italian style, like yeah, Lamborghinis right. and stuff. So he's yeah. building some type of sports car, you know, no ABS or anything. So it's just going to be like a, a death trap slash coffin, which would be super sick. But he's, you mm. know, what I mean? like that's what veterans are doing. That building their own fucking car. yeah, find hobbies and and and, and see if you can make yeah. money out of it. Yeah. And so, yeah, I don't know. Like, I honestly, you know, people say you should have that five to ten year outlook. Oh, I, don't, I don't know if I'm going to be alive, you know. Like, I could pull the pin tomorrow. could crash the car on the way home. Who knows? So I try and live day by day and just do what I, you know, do what I'm doing to the best of my ability. And uh, I, I don't take nothing less, you know. If, if there's something, 
And, you know, my business partner for Iron Lead Cartel, he knows, if I see a thread on a T-shirt, that's it. That shirt's out. Mm. I don't care. I'm pretty – and that's the hard thing about veterans as well because our attention to detail is, you know, like fix fix that shit. You know, there's a crinkle in that shirt. Fix that shit. Mm. Look good. Look the part, you know. So, yeah, I don't really know what the – you know, do what I'm doing now and just – Try and do everything to my best of my ability, and you know if it gets successful, it does. If, if it fails, and fails, I'm sure there's going to be plenty of failures down the track. But there's a lot, yeah, a lot of things I want to get into. Like I see something new every day, and skincare. You know that, that only started two weeks ago. Mate, here I am. A, if you need a hand model or a, oh, no, you probably get better ones. Yeah, it's not, it's not <laughs> Maybe get started with his rig out. Yeah, I don't nah, know where those hands have been. I got weird looking. Yeah, true. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Gardening, mate. That's what I mean. Gardening in the dirt. I love it, mate. It's it's um because you you've kind of done a done a multi transition. Left the military, got into security, which is fairly generic. Security and exactly. PTing is pretty yeah. much the same. Yeah. But then now that's that's you've set that up long term, make where it's comfortably making money, and you you now kind of almost identity shifting into creative. Yeah, there's yeah, not a yeah. lot of creative about about private security but there is about making clothes and, and new companies yeah and- yeah and i guess that creative side started from me being in in the psd world you know we had these ifax and the ones that we were buying they were just shit that zips on them and like you know how you meant to what's an ifax just for people IFAC's like me who have no idea first aid kit gotcha so it's just a little first aid kit you wear on your belt you, know, you pull it if you need it and it's got your your chest seal and you know if you <laughs> again and not, not another normal First aid kit, you know, most people just carry band-aids. We're carrying chair seals and quick clots and, you know, to stop the bleed type thing. Not normal. Another reason why there's, you know, issues with the PSD world. Um, but, you know, I created this IFAC that was just a bit better and it's, you know, it pulls out left or right and holds the stuff inside and, you know, and that was part of my creative thinking and we've got a plate carrier coming as well. And um, that was the start of it. Now it's just... Just I'm just thinking of ways. How can I change that mug? You know, how can I make that better, mm. easier? I've got one for you. I can't put it on air because it's 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 like everyone's. It's a billion dollar idea, mate. Yeah. Now this is so simple. You can make it for for, for under two bucks. There you go. And I reckon you. I'll talk to you. There after you this. go. But I'd love you know. And if anyone like if anyone's got an idea and they're like, do you want to invest and do you want to get into it? I'm like, yeah, let's let's do it. What have I got to lose? Mm. A couple of grand. I don't care. Like that's. I've got the money to you know to lose it, so why not risk it? That's yeah, that's that's, that's life, isn't it? Like just man. just do it. Yeah. Mm. You got nothing to yeah. Yeah, I like it. I like it for for any young diggers that are first getting out though. Don't take a hundred percent of your yeah, little, little savings yeah. and go. I'm going to buy a shirt machine. Actually, do some homework first. Or, yeah, or not. Yeah, it's up to you. You'll learn buy from the that small mistake one first. Like I did. I did buy a smaller one. It was two grand, so I figured that out and then bought the big one. Yep. So you know, always start small to. Mm. You know, to fit your budget, like don't go out and like we all did after Afghanistan, buy a HSV or a BMW oh, yeah. or whatever, yeah, yeah. And, and wrap them around poles. I mean, I guess that's what I was getting at before with like with the security company. You you did the long game, whether or not you had a ten year plan or not. Like you you, you weren't well. I don't know if you're struggling or not, but you weren't going all in. All right, I've taken out a massive loan. I have to make no, this work on. No. And then now you're at the point. So that was your main one. And now you're at the point where you're like, you have the, the free cash to go, I can experiment with ideas. I think that's, that's one thing that I did wrong. I mean, like we, we spoke on your podcast, my, all of my business learnings came from massive failures with the restaurant, which I think is fantastic. Cost a lot of money, but that was the issue. It's the same as not having enough time to get to work or whatever. It's like, I went all in, borrowed money, went all in on this first business idea 
And if it failed, I would have had nothing left. Yeah. Which was which was exciting at the time too, but it became so fucking stressful. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, again, not trying to give young diggers advice, but try an idea out, learn as much as you can, and try an idea out as cheaply as possible, um, and then start playing around with stuff. Because if as soon as you start a business, that if you have one bad day, you, you're in, your family can't eat. Yeah. That's that's gonna you, it fucks you up. Yeah. Yeah. And if you, if you do go into business with someone else, try and have, make sure they have the exact same drive and process as you, you know, mm. thinking, you know, well, you know, I, I've had it in the past, you know, like one of our business partners, he's no longer with the company anymore, which is, which is a good thing. Cause he just didn't have that mm. flair like the rest of us. So you just got to find that, you know, that, that happy meeting with someone else. And if they've just got that same crazy creative, you know, whatever drive mind, then hundred percent get in with them. Mm. But, you know, always be careful when you go home with friends because you know, can fall apart. I like it, mate. I think it's good <laughs> advice for diggers for the future. The world's getting more creative. 100% I think we're going to have to. Technology. Anything logic-based is going to be robots, yeah. mate. So yeah. so look for fucking creativity and, yeah. and, and have a crack and at just, it. Just um, the New South Wales, oh, I think it's more the Australian government. No one knows about this, which is super crazy. The government is actually paying veterans, are paying their course fees to do a cert for a diploma. Everyone. Not just veterans. No, it's it's it, it, no, it, yeah, it depends. There's mm. not just everyone. There's guidelines. for different jobs though. There, there is training, there free is. training out there for almost anything. So oh, oh, there again, is now, yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's uh, even better ones for veterans. And, yeah, right. And their partners. So you can uh, be a veteran of one day and do a diploma in I don't know bicycle fixing. I looked at it the other mm. day. There's like anything cert three, cert fours, and the, the government will pretty much subsidise the whole lot. Yeah. Um, I'm going to do a diploma in. I'm doing the diploma in uh, paramedical science at the moment, and then I'm going to do a diploma in photography as well because I love photography. That's another thing I want to get into. You know, it's, it's my brother's massive on. He's massive on YouTube, and you know he's getting three hundred thousand views and stuff. And but he's massive. Oh, is that your brother? I saw a post this. I'm like, fuck, he looks familiar because it was yeah, for your. Brother, it was yeah, for Iron and Lead yeah, Cartel. Big, big and I was like, and he's was, massive. Like he just finished his uni degree and he's doing the full full time videographer now. Yeah, yeah. And full, he's full. he's I, I stalked his Instagram. He's got some, he's got some skills, yeah, he's mate. Getting it's good. bigger and bigger. So I, I'd like to get into the photography side of things as well because I, I find it quite. Well, like, that's why I've got all these set up as a prop. So I've actually got to learn how to use them. And and I I don't. I've I've started to lose interest in. Um, TAFE-based or uni-based government certified yeah. course. I just want to find anything creative. I want to find the dude on the internet that, that looks like he knows what he's – he's got the most skills. I'm like, I'll go, I'll go and learn from him. I don't yeah. want to go and learn from some dude who learned it out of a book last week. Yeah. Um. So I don't really care if it comes with a, a certification code as long as – I think I paid like um, – oh, it's one of those online course things. I, I, I downloaded a course the other day to learn how to use those black magic cameras. See how it goes. But Yeah, it just – you know, when I'm talking about my brother, you know, I'm just wondering, you know, with with creativity and drive and stuff, if it's a DNA, if there's a DNA aspect or a, you know, hereditary aspect in it, because he's just the same thing. If he sees it, you know, when he first started learning how to play the guitar, it was like, saw a guitar, picked it up and just mm. banged it out for a year, just did not stop until he got it. Same thing in photography, he just picked up a camera one day and, I'm going to teach myself how to do it. Was I'm that the left same. and right hemisphere dominance? Yeah, I'm not. Yeah, I, I don't know. Again, I would have to get up to date research, but I don't. I, I think it's getting disproven to say that you are a left brain person. Um, maybe not. I don't know. I'd have to have a look. But I think there's a, a chemical connection somewhere because if me and my brother are doing, again, I bought a 13,000 embroidery machine. I had no idea, but I taught myself, I said to myself, I'm not going to stop. 
until that thing's personal popping out. Too, isn't it? And that wonderment and learning a new skill and yeah, struggling. Mm. as long as you're hitting the boundary and getting through it. Yeah, just yeah, fucking hitting the wall. Every yeah, time. I'm like, I fuck no. It's like yeah. when you're trying to put IKEA furniture together, and you're like, dude, I shouldn't have thrown the instructions out. You're like, fuck. Yeah, but, you know, learning a new mm. skill that yeah. personal growth. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. Mate, last question. When we're going over time, you've just raised a point that you're doing more stuff. So you've got all these businesses and now you're also doing some courses to learn. How's your sleep? Um, I sleep pretty shitty as it is because of all my injuries. I've got arthritis in both shoulders, covered by DBA, which is good because obviously my injury, um, parachute accident and car crashes and whatever and knees are starting to give way. I can, you know, I honestly feel like a 60-year-old man and all you guys can contest about that, you know, same thing, you know, the military life is not often, you know, you whatever career, how long you did, you know, you probably walked a million kilometres, yeah. 60 kilos in back. Again, not fucking normal. Mm. So you're going to be bust, like, as sad as it is, you're going to be busted after you leave the military. It's just, that's a given fact. Um, it's the way you manage it, obviously. If you, you know, hook up with Swiss Aid and be mm. healthy about it, you'd probably be better. And I'd obviously gotten to the booze and all that type of stuff. So that kind of degenerated my health a bit more. Mm. Um, I forgot what the question was. Sleep. Sleep. Do you sleep and how sleep is it Sleep is, it is uh, it's <laughs> you with kids as well. You've got kids? No, no. no. <laughs> don't, not don't, don't, don't have <laughs> Yeah, not that you know. Uh, anyway. Obviously, when you've got kids with you 24-7, it, you know, sleep's always going to be an issue because, you know, they're waking up every sort of, Sort of an hour. Not too bad with the five year old. She'll sleep all night. It's more the two year old and it's getting up. Um, I sleep all right, but again, it's me that overactive thinking. Like some, you know, a, a funny meme came up the other day on, on Facebook and I tagged my wife and it's, uh, there was a picture of someone laying in bed and thinking about where their passport was. And that's me. Cause, you know, I'll be like, I'll wake up and go, where's my passport? And I'll be <laughs> up. That's it, looking for it. You know what I mean? Like, don't need it. I'm just yeah. going to go look for it. You know, burst TV, where is it? Fuck, I'll go find it. Yeah. So my sleep's, you know, I'm getting, I'm obviously getting enough to do what I'm doing. Uh, you know, it, it's hard when I'm on a job, um, especially when I was with Nitro because we spent a lot of time on tour buses, on these fancy tour buses, like they got beds and little kitchens and stuff. But I was too big for the bunks and stuff, so my sleep was shit. And we we're mm. working early, early days and long days. And my sleep now is pretty good. It'll get better, I think. Um, I guess maybe, mm. but you know, it's. I think if you get your six or seven hours, that's that's enough. Like, yeah. To keep oh, it is. Yeah, yeah. You know, well. Keep hydrated. Hydrate is, you know, water's the biggest thing. I think, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Well, eight, Wait, I'm, uh, eight, eight, to, eight to nine hours laying in bed every day. Yeah. Yeah, right. So, they're, so they moved away from entrepreneurs like, yeah, I sleep four hours a night because the other guy's doing Force four and a half and I do four. and a half. No. They, the people started cooking and, and the ability to regulate your emotions, The one of the biggest contributors to your ability to regulate emotions was had you had enough uh, sleep the night before up yeah. to including. And there are there are outliers that can sleep six, seven hours. Um, I think that's the minimum. Six is yeah. the minimum that you I think you should have. Personally, yeah. that's from my opinion anyway. But AIDS definitely, AIDS definitely perfect. Anything over that at our age is definitely not good. If you oversleep and... That they can have just a, just as bad as effect, you know, on your drive. But you know, when you're 15, 60, especially if you're only a young fella leaving the vet, you know, as a veteran, as a 20, 24 year old, you can sleep till midday. I don't remember the last time I slept till midday, like even on a big night on the booze. I, I couldn't tell you. 
Like it's just, mm. I think as you get, you know, you know what I mean? Like when you're growing up, and you see your parents get up at 6 a.m. Like, what are you doing at 6 a.m.? It's just what happens when you get older. Like, oh, know. yeah, your body requires just, less. Yeah, so yeah. I mean, and, and hydration is absolutely important. All right, we, we were talking about this yesterday. There's a, I'll steal this analogy from a, or this, that's not an analogy. What is it? I don't know, metaphor, maybe. No, anyway, fuck, going in the wrong rabbit hole. Um, the, is it Matthew Walker, the sleep book? Whatever his name is, there's a book on on why we sleep, and and when that dude was talking, he's like, the to to put things in importance of what you should focus on the most to get accurate. He's like, um, between he used to say fitness, nutrition, and sleep were the three most important things, and people would put them in order. Normally, going well, you need to be fit, and then figure your diet out, and then get your sleep right. And he's like, working backwards from if you didn't do any of them, what what's going to happen to you? Like, and he he's in that, he, his message is don't do any of them for a week, and he goes, don't train for a week. You're okay. You feel lazy. Don't eat for a week. You, you can fast for seven days. It's, it's getting mm. to the max. He goes, don't sleep for a week and you're fucking dead. 100%. And so, therefore, it, it is in that order. And then if we add in the other ones, like hydration definitely needs to be in there. And, and for us, we've been watching a bunch of shows. Like I won't say which ones. They're very feminine. Um, <laughs> but they're all about breathing and breath work. And that's, that's something I really want to focus on this year. And I'm like, if you do breath work, and then, and then a bit of yoga, that's that's your mindfulness. And I'm just using the Swiss 8 app principles. And then there's some fitness and movement and there's nutrition and then there's sleep. And obviously hydration needs to go in there too. If you use that same principle, the same model to go, which how does it work if you don't do any of them? For how long can you, you mm. do them? And obviously breathing, breathing regulates everything in the human body. And and there's so much I think that we need to, to investigate further to see what breath can do. But you, you hold your breath for five minutes and you, you, you're going to die. That's, that is the first thing that needs to be addressed and i think probably water would come second like hydration would come second because you can go a week without food in a fast you can't go a week without water yeah um and so with that model get your breathing right get your hydration right and then start then sleep then food then fitness um which is almost opposite to what the way people yeah try and get healthy yeah so sleep definitely we've got to fix it out but yeah hydration's up there yeah. There's going to be some good protocols coming in. So it's going to be exciting. Yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah. yeah, cool. But uh, yeah, man, well, hey, I think that's coming up to two hours, man. We might wrap that bad boy up, mate. Uh, yeah, no, it's been super sick. Yeah. Mate, thanks for coming on. I appreciate you having me. Cheers, bro. We'll do them again more, more and more yeah, now that we're all in the same spot. Newcastle's the place to be for.